Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perotti. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perotin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hey, everybody, it is your good friend, the Safety Doc, from down here in the North Star Recording Studio, where I'm trying to work with the gain a little bit here on the old microphone. So uh, if you can let me know how things are going on the gain, if this sounds okay by you. Um, the last episode was a little soft and then obviously YouTube goes in and does its magic and stuff like that. But, uh, but if everything's, I've got the headphones on, they sound okay to me, but I'm, it depends upon how I've got the volume set for the gain. So I think it's, I think it's okay. So I might have to reload this, uh, microphone configuration and things, but anyway, Hey everybody, welcome, 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 welcome. Thank you so much, uh, for being here this evening and big big news believe it or not 1000 subscribers here for the safety doc podcast 1000 subscribers yes it is absolutely wild welcome gun websites john crump alive ek solitude surfer robert and bv luminous thank you um wow this is just awesome ting ting um whoa going all the way back on race and Awesome. So yeah, <laughs> some somehow by the grace of God, this show got to 1,000 subs, and I wouldn't have uh, gotten to this point without all of you. And I I mean that sincerely. The show um, was, you know, for the for the better part of um, there we go, for the better part of four years, the show was kind of unknown, and I started recording the show um, just to try to bring awareness to school and community safety. First few episodes, you know, really wonky. I've got like a tripod and a camera set up and then a you know different audio recorder and just trying to interview people and finding, finding a way. But actually, thank John. Thanks for letting me know. Audio sounds good. Um, I think my gain was a little less time. I've adjusted a little higher, so I think it's good. Um, so... Anyway, um, yeah, so I started to do, you know, the shows. And one of the first ones, I think episode maybe three, I interviewed um, a lady who had a, a search and rescue dog. Sierra was a search and rescue dog. And she was talking about um, how that all worked and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so, and then to progress, and now this is episode 163, having that hiatus from January of uh, this year to about August when I was writing my book. So took time off um, from the show, but now back, yeah, and enjoying it. So this is uh, the Safety Doc Podcast. And Monday or, or Friday mornings is Face Validity Fridays, which I'm really enjoying too, going through four or five headlines and saying, does this make sense from a face validity standpoint? So here in southern Wisconsin, it is um, it is about 30 degrees, but no snow because it was in the 60s here last week. We, we never had those uh, big winds that came through, although in the northern part of the state, some areas did have EF2 tornadoes um, and had some houses and barns and stuff like that down, but really not too much going on around here. It was kind of a mad scramble for everybody to get their Christmas decorations um, inside, you know, like their inflatable snowmen and the Grinch and 
minions and, and so forth. So I checked and my uh, my metal deer, one of them was tilted over. Those things are staked down pretty far. <laughs> like I'd, I put those things out, you know, probably right around the first week of November when the soil's still pretty pliable. But, uh, but yeah, so I was able to, to get everything. So, um, well, a, let me kind of get this going over here. So um, Robert is saying only five degrees lower than New York. Yeah, it was. And it's going to be in the 40s here on Friday. So all good news. A week ago today, we took delivery of the new vehicle. So um, I've, I kind of figured out most of that by now. But I remember we're about, a, well, it wasn't 8.30, but uh, last week, you know, we're, we're sitting there, uh, you know, my wife and I, as, as the, the dealers going through, you know, and stuff. And, 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 you know, all this stuff of like, here's how to like check the calibration of the steering and it'll come up and like, I'm never, uh, you know, not probably going to use this stuff and this and this and this. And if you, you can save like, you know, 50 radio stations, or you want another 10, you press this and like, nope. <laughs> all right. It's all cool. Like things I don't need, but, uh, but it is, it is cool. First all wheel drive vehicle, Robert, all wheel drive. And I needed to use it um, on Saturday. It was on the interstate, and eight we passed eight salt trucks, and there was one car accident. It started to snow a little bit, and it was getting slippery. So, boop, put her in, in the all-wheel drive. Not that that's the magic, but it definitely made a difference. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much, everybody, for supporting the show. A thousand subscribers. When I started out, you know, like for the first hundred episodes, I was maybe like at three hundred subs. <laughs> I would post on on Twitter and LinkedIn and I have my, my website, safetyphd.com. You see down in the corner, it'd be like, why isn't this show growing? And um, I'm not sure, you know, safety is kind of a, a niche thing. And I had great guests on. I interviewed Larry Lawton, America's Biggest Jewel Thief. Um, and then finally, you know, people started to to find out about the show. And uh, and yes, so man against the mess. Zero W20, that's the way to go. Completely right now. Zero, zero W20, full synthetic is the way to go. So yeah, oh my goodness, um, all wheel drive kicks. I loved it. I was I noticed it right away. So um, yeah, just really really happy with the vehicle. <laughs> like, like it's it's weird because the first well first couple of times I drove it and then it has a heads up display which I've never had before, and uh, I'm just like this is so much better than what I had, <laughs> which was a 14 year old base model sedan which served us well for many years but then to come into something you know like this and, and all the technology and the heated seats and the heated steering well this is goofy stuff but um hey vanessa hello to you uh we'll push you to move more yeah john um with the show bears vikings tonight so i'm here in uh, wisconsin where the packers have the number one seed so good stuff media hits is here for goodness sakes it's our good friend uh, media hits so uh, next Tuesday, come on the show. Uh, possibly, buddy, what is um, next Tuesday as far as, like, I don't know what day Christmas is and what day all that is, but I might. Um, so, yeah, let me know. Um, G-T-Y-S-Y, which I do not know what that means. So my wife wants my T-shirt at John and Crump Live. Wow. A few more here. Well deserved from our good friend Robert Ribert Harrison. Well deserved all around, Doc. You're good. To, well, thank you, thank you. Um, so, um, so yeah. It for me, I <laughs> I'm going to show you what I what I did. Um, 
so I was keeping <laughs> I was keeping track every day. I'll put it up here. I was keeping track every day of how many subscribers I had. And then in the middle column is how many viewed hours, because I need 4,000 viewed hours to get to um, monetize, right? And then on the right, the 31,000, that is the number of views. So that's how I was tracking the progress. And as you can see, like just in the last two weeks, we went from 843 up to 1,000. And we also gained uh, about 150 uh, view hours, which is great. So the biggest thing for this channel um, at the moment is going to be view hours or you know, people going in and watching watching shows. Um, maybe because I did have that kind of hiatus, or there wasn't a lot of activity going on. But uh, but yeah, people going in and, and watching and getting up to the four thousand. And once we get to four thousand, you know, the show can be monetized. But having a thousand subscribers and thank you so much is is big because people when they you know when I ask people to be on the show, one of the things they ask is, "Do you have a thousand subscribers?" Also for my publisher, you know, do you have a thousand subscribers? It is definitely a hallmark to show that your work has hit a threshold. Um, so I appreciate that. Vanessa will bring your scores up. So thank you. Yeah. And and I know people have started, hey, greetings to Sa uh, greetings to Sast here. Uh, Sast was a guest a couple of weeks ago. That episode has 120 views and boy, it should have more. I know it's a long show, but even, you know, just watch the first 30 you know, 40 minutes of it. And then after that, you know, we kind of branch off into things. Really great content. Um, and I did update the the blog post on that at safetyphd.com um, to include some images of Sast in the 1980s when he's when he's learning the computer programming ropes and just to kind of see some of the old, you know, the way computers used to be back in the 80s, kind of forget about that stuff. Uh, Sast with his motorcycles. So, um, but yeah, so I have uh, I've been enjoying things. I ordered a um, uh, a Chrome license plate frame for the back of the SUV, and it's the company that makes kind of these accessories out of uh, California. And so they only make a handful of things, and this was one. I wanted it like I knew when we got it. I'm like, I want to get this like special. And it was, and it's it's just accents it really nice. It's a small thing. A lot of people never notice it, but for me, like I notice it. So. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for being here. I already see the show has the, the blue, the light blue notices down below. <laughs> so even though I'm very careful in how I word these things, you know, um, pandemic, COVID, things like that, you know, if, if the, the algorithms have just gotten to the point where anything that they sense is in that zone gets put in there. And here's an, here's an interesting point. When I go over to DuckDuckGo, shows like this don't show up. And I'll, I can see other stuff. You know, Dr. Go will show you your stuff and it'll say like it's censored. It's not showing up on other sites. And I'll be like, well, what the hell? So I have a lot of stuff that a lot of content, which isn't showing up um, on other sites or even like on Google, right? Because so I think that's part of the reason this channel hasn't grown. I Because I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm a fun, good person, right? And with great guest on here, like Sast. Uh, the content is really good. So, you know, I, I think it is this thing like we're, we're having to, to fight for every, you know, subscriber, for every recommendation the show gets every time it shows up in a, in a web search and stuff like that. So it legitimately has earned. You've been there. You've helped me. I appreciate it greatly. Uh, before I move on, of course, uh, it's still time to get this, right, uh, in your in your basket for Christmas, School of Air is Rethinking School Safety 
in America, the most honest book ever written about the $3 billion school safety industry. Um, this is the truth, folks. And also, if you're thinking about what school safety looks like uh, with the pandemic, there's a, it's not specifically the written pandemic, but you're going to see how those practices work. Um, this is the, this is the truth. Again, the most honest book written about this three billion school, three billion dollar school safety industry. And this spun itself into a PBS special that I delivered in 2019. Um, it's hard copy. This is the book. This is the first book I ever received from my publisher. And, uh, this it's made really well, you know, it's got a sewn cover and or sewn binding, right? The cover was sewn. I don't know if that would make much of a difference, but, um, but yeah, this thing is in great shape. I mean, the corners aren't bent in, the pages aren't falling out. So another thing is if you order the book, uh, it's something that's going to be a legacy. Like it's going to be there. You can share it with other people. Um, it's good coffee, a good coffee table book. You could set a 300 degree cup of coffee on here. Probably would do minimal damage. So I'm not guaranteeing that. I'm just saying probably. So, um, hey, thank you to uh, Walter. Thank you to Media, Media Hits. Um, the world where COVID is getting you. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. The media hits here. So, I mean, so there I, I put out a recommendation um, or I, I put out a request because yesterday I'm like, I don't know um, what to do for this show. Well, I, I had ideas. Like I didn't, I didn't kind of know. And part of it is there are things I want to talk about, but they obviously um, get, they, then the show doesn't get recommended, right? Like if we have certain topics, <laughs> it doesn't get recommended. So my my friends in the the two A community, you know what this is like, right? So um, there are there are things that um, you know if I if I talk about that mass mandates, FBI in schools, um, you know the Mary Garland FBI, you know memo about you know parents and in schools and collecting evidence, so, eh, that stuff just hurts. The algorithm, although it's truth, then I feel it needs to get out there and, and there's a value to it. So, um, you know, it's just kind of finding the balance with that. There are a lot of uh, great ideas that all of you have recommended, and it's just some of it I can't I can't put out there. Um, and it's also with the second book releasing, which is um, The Velocity of Information. And let me, while I'm at it here, Okay, I have three screens in front of me. So <laughs> you're watching at home. You're like, "What is happening? What is what is he looking at?" I'm like, "I I don't know." So um, what I'm what I'm what I'm doing right now is bringing up um, the cover actually of the the next book. I had some awesome wall art made by the way, which is which is up. Uh, I had both covers made as wall art. One has been up for a while, but now I have the other one made. Looks really cool, by the way. So hope don't I, I got to see images here. All right, so let's see it. Uh, all right, folks, if this works, I had to download a different Irfan sixty four bit viewer, which is a little sketchy. Wants to open up everything. I'm like, you don't have permission to open everything. It's like yeah, I do. Like you don't. It's like go to hell. I'm like don't get that way with me. You're just a JPEG opener. You never want to be in that situation, folks. Um, Walter and Bacon, Bacon, welcome, Bacon. I may take Doc's book on another Campbell run as a, as a wingman. You can, <laughs> um, yeah, my book would love to Cannonball run uh, with you in the uh, Asuzu Impreza. So yes, my book will Cannonball run. That's when the next book comes out. I'm going to show you the the cover of it right here. Um, 
share. Well, this is where the health slides are, but no. I was trying to figure that out before. Okay. There we go. So that's the cover of the book and the velocity of information, uh, human thinking during chaotic times. Man, it is a great read. Absolutely great. Releases April 11th. Um, so the thing is, so the book is $35 for a paperback, which I know is expensive, right? I don't set the prices. It's with the publisher. It's actually 75 for a hard copy because it, Universities have adopted this as a text and libraries buy it and they know that libraries will buy a hard copy for more. I have no say in that whatsoever. I apologize because I know for you to make a commitment of $35 on a paperback is a big thing. I can tell you I've made a commitment of 3,000 hours worth of work. I, I paid transcriptionists, you know, even though like it's written under a contract, like I put a lot into the book. So when you get the book, it is going to be exceptional, right? Like, uh, you know, this this is incredible work of how humans function during short-term chaos, during long-term, you know, 30-day uh, event that might last three days, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Um, 12 interviews in this book, including people who are hard to interview. Larry Lawton, America's Biggest Jewel Thief. I mean, he will only give interviews to a handful of people, 1.4 million YouTube subscribers. So a friend, I mean, he's on my, my phone. Um, so this book is phenomenal, phenomenal, and it's going to be out. So again, it's worth the, worth the investment on the, the paperback. Uh, it will be out in a year in audio. So that's part of the contract. There's a staggered delay in audio. So it comes out initially in hardback, paperback, ebook, and then in audio. Um, so all of those will be out initially. Again, it's just going to be hardback, paperback, but April 11th. Really cool. So that cover, by the way, um, so I have that as a as like a three by five up on my on my wall, like professionally made next to School of Airs, my first book. And so they gave me six, six, no, they gave me five covers to choose from. And well, we kind of narrowed it down. Like I, I initially went through like this, you know, the different artwork and things and kind of like picking out ideas. And, and this wasn't my first choice. And then um I kind of worked back to it because we had 22 people who looked at the cover and, you know, all the stuff. And this came out to be the number one uh, choice. And I, I actually just love it now because, you know, it goes off the page. And this whole thing is like, is it light, the speed of light, information at speed of light, is it coming to the brain or is it coming out of the brain? What's happening here? And, you know, blue is, is a color that when you read a, a book that has a blue cover, it's usually about trustworthiness. Like, you know, red is kind of intrigue and serious, which this book has, but this is more like enlightenment. Um, and I, it's really a, a professional scholarly work, which you'll enjoy. I talk to you, the reader. I tell you the story. I interviewed Robert Robert, Trav, Robert Travis, the crab boater, did uh, two trips in Alaska, you know, two seasons on the Bering Sea. It's an amazing story. And uh, I, I just, I love the book. So, Right now, I am going through, and uh, my job is to um, my job is to proof <laughs> proof the book right now. So the publisher and they've assigned their their proofing team, which which typesets it and puts it into here's what it'll look what it's, when it's in the book. And we're not quite on the same page with that because um, they want to um, they they want to do some things differently with some of my diagrams, which I have professionally done in in the trim for this book. So. 
we've been kind of going back and forth. That'll all get ironed out. But uh, so I'm going to talk about this too later on. I'm going to do shows about the book and talk about chapters in the book and themes. But so right now I go into their system, I log in and all the book is laid out there. And then I, they have things that I have to answer their author questions. And here they are, <laughs> which is actually very few. Like for School of Errors, it was many more than this and all 471 citations and notes got approved like they were like no we don't have any questions i thought for sure that's where i was going to be asked to clarify or bring more um so i go i have to go through it's like but when you read it you have to read it kind of out loud to yourself and see if it makes sense and you know this time it's been through many proofreaders many editors stuff like that because it is a big work and um and then you go in and make comments and edits and, and some small changes. And I have to do like one more pass through of that, which will probably take about probably two days, like start to finish, like just go. And then it's like making sure all the figures are in the right place and building out the index, you know, with the publisher and like what has to be indexed, whatnot. But anyway, I'm excited. It is a it is a great book and it is a book like nothing else you'll read. It rips the bandaid off the year 2020, right? It is, it is going to tell you why everybody was declared essential and non-essential and really why a lot of us were declared unessential. And the publisher, I mean, this is a traditional publisher, right? They actually allowed me to, <laughs> I mean, this is a risk for them to publish this. Um, I, you know, I came in at the end of this book and made a statement of saying, you know, we are getting, we're in the era of uh, passports, right? That each of us has passports based upon our health decisions. <laughs> And, you know, I thought, oh, they're going to ask me to take that out, you know, because, um, but they didn't, they, they were like, we're, no, we're good. I mean, it's kind of like at the fringe of where you could go on this stuff. And even the university that I teach for, uh, this book really like school of errors really pushes the limit. But I think here's the thing I've learned everybody. I think people back you if they know that you're a person of integrity. And I said that I have 471 citations in here. I have every word of every interview I've ever done with anybody. Everything in this book can be traced back and anchored to truth. And even though it's going to go against narratives, you read this book, man, it is going to change the way that you see things going forward. Um, not that you need it that, I mean, you, you have it, everybody in the audience, you have it, but it, this is the calibration tool. And people recognize that, right? They and I—I I mean, my my university is um, is really behind this, as they were with School of Errors. Even you know, School of Errors calling out the three billion dollars school school safety industry, and you know, a, a book like uh, Velocity of Information. But uh, so I'm 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 thrilled. I really am. I'm. It's 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 wonderful. Every day I can go in and see where School of Errors, for example, is in more libraries across the world. So it's like, oh, you know, it's in this library. It's in this new, you know, Squamish, British Columbia or something like that. And or people will email and, hey, you know, this just came into our library as a, as a new, you know, because 2020 things kind of got screwed up with library purchases stuff. But uh, but anyway, I'm just I'm really happy about that. So um, let me go to the chat and then I'm going to get into what we're going to uh, cover today. So let me go back because I don't want to miss. I love all you guys. I really do. I mean. <laughs> I, it sounds kind of funny um, at first to say that, but honestly, I've gotten to know quite a few of you and you've stuck by the channel. You've stuck by my work. Um, you know, it, it does, it does mean a lot. Um, you know, when I, when I presented on PB, I presented twice on PBS and I want to do one show where just talking about like what it's like to present on PBS in a live audience. You know, it's not like Grover 
and uh, stuff like that. But, uh, but I mean, I remember the second time I presented on PBS and the people I worked with back then, without me knowing, they caravanned and they drove and they were in the audience. And I was just like, God, that is so cool to do that. I didn't ask anybody to do that. And they were just like, they dressed up, like they were just happy. They were to be there. Like, I know this guy, he was present on PBS. And I'm like, that was real, that's friends. Like, those are people who really care. And then, like, the first time I presented on PBS, like, everybody turned at me. <laughs> like, why are you getting the limelight? What is up here? Why, you know? And I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, that's so crazy, right, to to be angry at somebody because they, they do something. And then you're like, it, you know, you feel like it takes a spotlight away from you and someone. And I never, ever, like, held that over anybody, right? I've never, ever said, like, I'm, I've been on PBS twice. Well, I think it's my Twitter handle, but um, it's it's just funny um, the way that some people, I don't know. But like I said, let's go here. Go on racing to take your kids out of school. Um, that might happen sooner than later because these schools go virtual right now. So um, I, I, this whole winter thing, schools are going to get messed up. Um, there, there'll be a lot of schools that will go virtual. Um, and part of it is because of our show today, right? Because of the topic that the CDC on December 17th said, hey, we have a new idea for schools. Why don't you test students in order to keep them in? Testing basically saying that they're negative for COVID. So we're going to go through that today because <laughs> I was a school administrator for 20 years. I'm going to tell you what that actually would look like in practice. Um, Solitude Surfer put, they already tagged you, Doc, in the blue banner. Yeah, I know, buddy. Um it's only a half of it. <laughs> if, if you knew the true underpinnings here of, of the things that Doc has been dragged through in the last year uh, by, you know, different organizations, I guess, it's not been, uh, it's not been good, but it, it's just the way that it is if you're the Doc. But anyway, Saltzwood Server, thank you so much, buddy. I see you in here quite a bit. Um, and uh, this, I'm not sure. Oh, it's three celebrations. EK, thank you, buddy. Thank you. I'm going to call you buddy, right? One um, K, Yeah, when, it's good. I mean, it is cool. It is so fun to open up, the, you know, the app and see, oh, 1K. It's been forever. Um, the censorship is horrible. This is from EK. Heard about your channel off True Tragedies. Yeah, um, True Tragedies has, has done much to promote my show. Um, she'll be a guest on my my show, Betty, uh, coming up and talk about um, being the recipient, right, of cyberstalking and uh, the aspects of what that's like, how you have to modify your life routines, how you counter that, how you identify that. I did a show a few years ago on uh, grooming, for for example, um, as, as children and even like college age students, um, it, people are, are groomed and become part of the sex trafficking. And I've, I presented uh, professionally on that. Um, of how to identify and how to counter um, sex trafficking. And it's kind of like that, like um, it's, in, it's in the same area, but I haven't done a show specifically on that. And I look forward to Betty uh, talking about um, her experiences and it's unfortunate, right? But thankfully she's willing to and eager to share. So other, people's don't, other people do not have to uh, go through that or if they start to identify that they're the recipient of that, they know how to respond, so. Um, yes, Betty will be on the show. Thank you. Um, this is from uh, Ting Ting. Uh, Hi, Safety Bacon sent me. You know, bacon's not good for your health. Bacon is not good for your health. 
Um, apparently, it's not good for cars because he was not running zero weight oil. Blew his engine. So um, I'll tell you what, uh, Bacon, I've known for a couple of years. Bacon was a guest on the show. Um, and one of the things with Bacon is he, Bacon's, Bacon is very intellectual. Looking and reading his blog post, um, I was impressed instantly. And I, I told him that. I said, You've, you're a really thoughtful guy. And, and the term I used is I said, you have what's called panoply vision. <laughs> panoply. It's, is it like panoply? Well, it's kind of, um, I'm going to try to put it here. I'm typing underneath my microscope. This could be a correct spelling or it might not. It might be totally something different. But um, he, he, when he would write his blog post, uh, he would be able to frame things in different perspectives as he went through his post. Like, here's how someone in this position might see it, or this position, or this position. And he did it in a subtle way, but you knew it was happening. So suddenly when you got done with his blog post, you're like, you could, you've, you've just gone through this multiplex of seeing this issue from many angles. So I, I told him this was a couple of years ago before I really knew him well. And I said, you, you're really good at this. Like you're a smart guy. And, and I also said like few people can do this, which is true. I work with a lot of people. I know a lot of people, a lot of great people, but when they, when they, analyze things, they, they either take it from a central perspective, like this is how I see things, just me. Um, or they might take it, you know, from one or two perspectives. But I said, Bacon, you really got a good way that you do things. It's real, and it's natural for you. Like, so keep doing your stuff. And I enjoy his Friday night shows. Um, I'm glad to, to call him a friend. And, you know, we've never met in person, but that will change someday because I'm road trekking uh, with the new book release. And I'm just going to make sure that that happens. You know, it, it's important in life to meet people, right? In real life things. This has all been great. I really appreciate this. But when when I do have that opportunity, I'm certainly going to, in, you know, let Bacon know. <laughs> I probably won't drive all the way out of California, right? Uh, it's not going to be Sausalito summertime. But uh, but yeah, I'm going to meet up. Um, that was a great show. We, we, he, Bacon was documenting the pandemic terms, all the new like contact tracing, six feet away, safer home, and, and then this, this big these big terms which became part of our lexicon just our everyday language um so let me go through here uh robert is saying hey hey zero white oil i'm telling you zero zero white oil is the best stuff is perfected now um <laughs> so ting tang yeah thanks on your thousand subs it's good and as our good friend john crump live uh thanks john so it looks like uh, you had a good time with the dld with uh dld and uh, flying rich um, a couple nights ago. You guys had a great show, so I appreciate that. And I was amazed, like with I mean, all you guys, but like flying rich will will be like, hey, my vacuum cleaner for my swimming pool went out, so I'm going to 3D print the replacement parts. And he just and he does it, and, he, and I'm like, holy smokes, like that is so cool. So I want to have him on the show and talk about you know what is currently possible with home 3D printing, where the future is going, because I wrote about it in my book, The Velocity of Information. We're in this phase right now where we're going from just-in-time manufacturing to 3D printing, and that's happening very fast. And I don't think people are recognizing it, or at least the media is not talking about it, right? Like, But we went from warehousing in the 80s to just-in-time in the 90s and early 2000s, and then start to go 3D printing. But we're going to be 3D printing very soon. So a lot of things that you want, like, um, I think it's like, uh, you know, the auto parts place, like O'Reilly and auto, you know, AutoZone, stuff like that. They're saying, you know, within five years, I expect you're going to come in and say, hey, I need a new fuel pump for my, you know, 
84 Bonneville. <laughs> and they'll be like, okay, what's the VIN number? And you'll punch it in and they'll be like, all right, uh, that'll be uh, 12 minutes. And then their 3D printer goes, and actually they do print metal stuff now and you'll have it. And here it'll be, it won't be back in stock or whatever. So um, pretty amazing stuff, but we're kind of caught in this middle phase right now too, which I talk about in the book is like people aren't investing as much into just-in-time manufacturing. And it's one of the reasons we have backups and delivery at warehouses and stuff like that, because like the whole warehouse model is going to be lessened very soon as people 3D print at home or regional 3D printers, very localized 3D printing happens. So, but again, write about it. It's in the book, the velocity of information. And uh, BB Luminous, buddy, thanks on a thousand. I appreciate it. Like this is a, this, it means a lot to me because I know it's 163 channels. Well, what was 160, no, 162 episodes, excuse me, that uh, it took to get there. But really it took getting to know all of you and, and then you, you know, sharing out with your audiences. Hey, like there's this guy, the safety deck, you know, John Crump. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You know, after that, there was a big jump in viewers and just saying, you know, there's this person out there who's, who has a, a substantial body of professional work that he's done himself to inform and some really cool interviews and I, everything is on audio. It's all leveled. There's a blog post for every single show about seven, you know, 800 words about a four or five minute read. And it's one of those things where not every show is going to be for you, but like if you, if you're to put together a playlist and you're like, I'm going to take 10 shows adopted and I'm doing like a road trip or something, you could find 10 really cool shows and you know, you'd be and there be things you'd learn that you never learned. Like, you know, before, like the, um, Larry Lawton and his attention in prison. Like, what did you look for in prison? And the question I asked him, like, how'd you find out about 9-11? The guy spent a third of his time in prison in the hole, which was basically a telephone booth in a dark room. Um, and you're, you know, so that's the thing. Like you're, you're hopefully going to come away from this of saying, yeah, like here's something new, like that no one else is, is talking about, or it's going to hopefully, validate like you're going to be like i'm not alone in like my sanity thinking there are other people who think sane which like all of you do so thank you so much so john is saying thumbs up people yeah we've got 17 thumbs up i appreciate that thank you so much um salty army tulsa asian girl here so <laughs> ting ting well thank you ting ting i i appreciate it so thank you for being um in the army i appreciate that this I, I t take it is from uh, when we started here. So, salty server man, I see you around. You're a good guy. Um, us, so cute. Um, hey everyone, love from Australia. Yes, down under. Are you you're in Australia? Wow. So, Ek, uh, I interviewed Nikolai Razvayu in, in my book. Um, he is the Soviet cyclist who had to cycle the day after Chernobyl, an hour away from Chernobyl in Kiev. So that's my main interview in the velocity of information. So he lives in Australia right now. Um, so yeah, John Crump, uh, Tuesday, get a hold of me. I actually think that's going to work. <laughs> I, I want to be on your show. I love your show. Um, it's just, you know, all this, this, the holidays, right? So it's like National Lampoon's Christmas vacation and Uncle Eddie and like who's coming over and where, where do we have to go and stuff like that. So it's the holidays and we're all miserable. So nine thumbs. So we're getting eight gun websites. I saw you earlier today, buddy. Thanks. Thanks, John Crump. Uh, and uh, BV Lunas, I'm having a 24 degrees, uh, lowest point overnight. It's easily manageable. So yeah, heck yeah, kick butts. Uh, so let me try to kick up 
uh, find where we're at here. Media hits. At some point, we'll start the show, right? But thank you so much. Our good friend, Sass. And people have emailed me about the interview with Sass. In, in, um, and, and they've loved it, right? Um, Sass is an incredible person. And go back a couple weeks, the interview I did with Sass. Um, so he, he suffered a traumatic brain injury. Um, as a young man, motorcycle accident, and then worked in vocational rehabilitation to learn the basics of uh, computers and and then, you know, continuing to, you know, do things that he loves, like flying model planes and, and uh, motorcycles and things like that. But that was just a good interview. Uh, Saz is a great person. And we kind of joke, too, about his uh, Isuzu Impreza and his cannonball run. I think we averaged 138 miles an hour taking cores across Connecticut. But, um, but yeah, that, that is a, that is a great interview. Um, it's one of those things too, for like agency and purpose, like, right. What happens to us when bad things happen to us? Like, how do you respond to that? And how does that change your life? And how do how do you go forward when you kind of have this constant companion with you of this bad event that happened, you know, the post-traumatic brain injuries. So, um, I just have a lot of respect for Sass. I am, I am proud to call him a friend, and um, that's a great show. And that will be we'll we'll do other shows too. Uh, GTSY, good to see. You. Thank you, Ting Ting. <laughs> like, what does this mean? It's like me sitting in 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 the car, like doing the orientation, and there's like this button for this and this and this, and here's like your GPN. Here's how you. I'm like I don't know, like lifetime navigation. I'm like, I'll figure it out. Like, right. I'll go through the book. I'll watch some YouTube videos and yeah, I did pick it up. It wasn't that big of a thing, but anyway, so uh, bacon. Yeah. One K. I mean, who would have thought like one K. So the city where I live is doing a parade for the one K and uh, yeah. So fire trucks floats, the whole deal bands and it's tomorrow morning. Uh, so it's all around town. It is kind of like the Whoville Parade. It's awesome. They're like 1K for the dock. Yeah, probably 100,000 people show up. We only live in a town of 10,000, but like, you know, people are big into that. They're like, you get a thousand subs? I'm like, yeah, I did. So here's an email from uh, former President Jimmy Carter. Dave, congratulations on the 100,000 subs. Hell of a job. By the way, um, have you ever eaten hard-boiled peanuts? I lived in Alabama for a while, Dotham to be exact. Have a great day. By the way, watching the show tonight, Jimmy Carter. Wow. I've never done the boiled peanuts thing, So, but I have been in Alabama. I've actually been in Dotham, so it's good. Um, Vanessa's saying, we'll bring your scores up. So, yeah, it's watch hours. <laughs> so... So right. I mean, how can I how can I overtly not say like just please watch the show? Or if you're mowing your lawn where it's warm and not cold, like where I'm at, watch the show. Or if you're working on something, watch it in the background. <laughs> um, you know, I there was one YouTuber who actually had an episode where all he did was say, like, please watch my show in the background or keep it on and let it run and click on the ad so I get monetized. I'm like, well, that's not me. Like but obviously, um, you know, I I am hoping, right, and it will happen at some point, to get to the 4,000 hours. So if you have something else going on and you want to scroll through and put on a couple of the shows, um, I appreciate that, right? Because 
I do want to get this show to 4,000 hours, right? And I do want to get more subscribers. So I want more people to know about it. Um, so EK is saying, hey, hello, nice to meet you, Sass. One to me watching your interview before. So glad you're okay. It's a good guy. It's a good guy, Robert. I hate all the rules on YouTube, yeah. It's funny because it's not funny, but I, I knew, like, I kind of suspected this would be a flagged show, like they would go after this one. And then, of course, I can go and duck, duck, go and see, like, yeah, <laughs> they totally are, like, banning this one. I'm like, damn it. Um, but, you know, I don't know. It's it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. So, EK, fantastic content. So, yeah. I did, a, I did an interview with um, David Hyde, who was a man who's blind from birth. I think it was, like, my 15th podcast. It's a really great show. And uh, he's a friend of mine. So, by the way, it's just not somebody, like, I pulled in for an interview. He's a friend of mine. And I was, I was just asking, like, what's it like to be blind? And say, how's the whole safety thing? Like, you know, safety drills, like getting around the community and, and stuff. And I mean, it was a great show. I mean, because we're good friends. Um, we, you know, it wasn't, it, 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 anyway, it, it was a great show. Even the show, not even, the show I did last week, the release on, I worked at the School for the Blind for four years. And, you know, what does safety look like? And, and all the quirky th things that happen at a school for the blind, residential, kids live there during the week. And for me, though, I'll be honest, it was the greatest job I ever had in my whole life. It's the best job I ever had. And I loved it there. And, um, but you know, when I, when I first considered the job, like well, a friend of mine who worked there said, yeah, you should consider this. There's nothing. Like, I don't know, man. And the reason was because like, I was terrified. Do I have to learn Braille? Like, how am I going to do this? And, uh, and he said, no, you don't have to learn Braille. And, you know, it's it, it's unlike anything you've ever experienced. And it was. It was such a great place. So that that was a terrific interview. And I have a lot of photos to go with that one, too, from when I when I worked there. Um, I'll tell you, that really made me, um, help me as an expert in school safety. Because how do you do school safety for kids who are totally blind and staff? So you got to learn, right? You got you to gotta figure out all these strategies. And, and like, apps aren't going to work for notifications if they don't have voiceover and stuff like that. But, oh, God. It was just such a good, such a good experience for me. Um, so let's get down here before we we start. And it is our good friend Walter. Walter saying, "Ting Tang, I want your DM um, from uh, Walter." So Walter's a, a friend of the show. So thank you so much, Walter. Um, let me go down here. So pretty soon I'll be clicking on super chats. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. I'm, this is man against masses. I'm glad that my kids are adults and don't have to deal with the flu stuff in schools, but they're dealing with in with the grandkids. Yeah. Oh my God, man. It is, it is insane in the membrane. Um, and I'm a school administrator, right? You know, retired. Um, my, I have two kids who attend school right now, K-12, and we get notifications three, four times a day. I'm going to bring one of them up here during the show. And it's just like, your kid has been in close contact with someone who's tested positive for COVID. If they have symptoms, keep them home. If they don't have symptoms, they can go to school. You can obtain a rapid test at Walgreens or whatever. And it's like the thing, you know, it's just like you can tell like it's been put together by a lawyer. <laughs> it's their legal team. And and I support our district. And I think that it, and our, the head of nursing for the school district is very, very good. Um, but it is this whole thing where it's just like, so what do you do now? And thankfully, they haven't decided to go remote. But there are districts around us making that decision. And as I talked about in one of the earlier shows, I think that's a really a uh, bad decision um, to do that. So what does school safety look like for the blind? Yeah, man, I guess that was an interesting 
thing. And, you know, I, and as I shared in that podcast a week ago, that we had a two alarm fire when I was there a Friday during the start of lunch, we had a two alarm fire and uh, an authentic fire, not a fire drill, like a fire. And so I got notified right away, right. As one of the administrators. And usually it was like a sensor or something. So, I mean, we still would evacuate everything, but then I was like, I'm not getting that notification. I'm like, no, we have a fire <laughs> underneath the cafeteria. Like this room's on fire. I'm like, holy smokes. So, you know, fire department responds. We've got everybody out and, uh, you know, then second alarm responds. And so I've got pictures right in that show from last week of that I took of the fire trucks. And, uh, and just how, you know, how you do that. Cause it's school for the blind. Right. And then the kids, the kids go home on the weekend. So we had to get their stuff out of the dorms, but because we had drilled and the, my rule was in the, my boss's rule. I also included th like a 30 second voicemail from my boss. who was just like such a great guy. You know, these people are just good people in life. Like he's one of those people. He's the person where you'd get done with a, you know, some kind of meeting or something really like a, a time intensive thing. And, and you get a voicemail the next morning, you click and he'd be like, great job with this. Like this was really well done or whatever. Like this is a template. And I'd be like, he's a person, you know, you, you work for people like that. You work extra hard. Right. And that those are people who then you want to emulate. So that voicemail is within that message from in that podcast from last week. Uh, this is our good friend. Um, <laughs> this is Walter. Don't read my love notes out loud. So, I don't know if you're referring back to last last week's show. So at the School for the Blind, some of the students have, at, well, they had apps, dating apps, you know, so eHarmony and stuff. Like, I don't know. I don't know if they had Tinder or whatever, but this one this this one young man, that came, you know, he came up to me and said, hey, would you help me set up this app? And I said, I can't really can't do that. Okay. Like, I understand like the preferences and stuff and things, but like it kind of has to be a family member with setting up your dating app. And then he, um, he, about a month later, he's like, Hey, I don't know, like Dr. P I think he's, Hey, Dr. P like, I've got like 55, like connections or whatever it is on the app. I don't know which app it was, but <laughs> he said, would you scroll through these and kind of give me your take on like, do you think I should contact them or not? So I'm like, like one, I appreciate that you trust me and that you think I have good taste. So appreciate that. So <laughs> I'm not going to say I wouldn't steer you wrong. Like you're right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't do that to you, but like, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> like I can't, uh, I can't look through these, your matches and say, yeah, this one. Yes. And this one, no, 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 no. Yes. No, no. Yes. Yes. No, 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 no. Definitely no. And no, and no. And here's a yes. And here's a maybe it's up to you. Um, but, you know, but the same thing was, it's this weird position you're placed in me because I'm like, I mean, he can't see these images and it didn't have voiceover for this thing. So, but like you have, to, and I also said like, do not just take one of your partially sighted friends <laughs> who attend school here, who might just try to prank you into this awful date or whatever, you know? So you have to, it has to be someone who's kind of in your, your trust corner. Right. But, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you though, I, I honestly, I don't know if I expressed this in the first show last week, but it, it really was an honor though, to have a student, I don't know if an honor is the word, but to have a student say, I trust you enough just, you know, to, to, 
tell me what you think on this kind of like a member check for dating, even though like, you know, you could not do that. Right. But I was, you know, just trying to give out the advice, like just whoever you have that looks through these, like you have to know them really, <laughs> really well. Like don't just don't default this to somebody else who lives in the dorm. So, um, but I never thought that was, this is a crazy, crazy experience. So, and I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like going through some of these, like, I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe, maybe right here, maybe not, maybe whatever. So good guy. So, um, and it was a great kid. Like I said, I, I loved that job. Um, I am, I am, when I look back on my life, like I am so damn glad that the circumstances happened to me that I was able to work as an administrator at the school for the blind for four years. I am so blessed that that happened to me. Um, I, I'm just the people that I, I met, the skills that I learned. Um, and, and it is just a place of, it's, it's unbelievable to explain what it's like. Um, I'll tell you, like I came into it, like with apprehension to, <laughs> to the top of my hair. I mean, I was just like, Oh my goodness, like how is this going to to work? How am I going to, you know, fit into this? And then we're going to have to learn Braille and all stuff with the kids. And I'm like, boy, it was just such a good, a good thing uh for me. And for the, you know, the kids, right? And just for everybody involved. Um, I I just really I I love that position. Um so uh EK wrote, I feel so horrible for kids and teens in school. It's not easy. Yo, 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 flying rich. So person I'm going to have on the show and really admire a rich again, um, just a great person. And then for example, saying I have a 3d printer this is what rich did. I have a pool, which I don't have the ice skating rink right now. And he said, I'm going to 3d print these parts that I need like bearings and stuff to, to fix my pool cleaner. And then he shows a video of it and stuff, but, but that's really cool, right? Like this is just, Using 3D printing, problem solving stuff. Just a cool person. Rich is a good guy. Media hits the audio podcast are good listens. Any problems with iTunes? So I don't have any problems with iTunes. I'm on iTunes. All my shows are on iTunes. So yeah, if you if you find the Safety Doc podcast, it's all on iTunes. All my audio podcasts are leveled. I run them through a leveler. So um, you know, I typically don't listen to them. But if when I go out biking, like I do, like a hundred mile trek on a bike, which right now I don't do because it's winter, but I will download podcast and on the way back, I have, um, you know, like a, I have a speaker, not like a speaker, I have a speaker. And then I can usually get about four hours of audio out of the speaker and I have an old Samsung phone. So I just have music on it and it works pretty well. Well, not music and podcast, but so then I can listen to about four hours of podcasts because on a day trek, I might do like eight hours, nine hours, um, you know, a hundred miles or so. And then on the way back, I'll usually break it up by throwing in some podcasts and things like that. Um, but not my own shows, like other shows, like Bacon, stuff like that. Um, Man Against Mess, always hitting her question. So, hey, folks, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Rich. Uh, I'm kind of like, I'm not really connected in with the time thing right now. Like, it's hard for me to believe like a week from, <laughs> not even a week from the day is Christmas. By the way, I have like a Christmas, I have Christmas gifts I have to wrap yet. So um, I'm kind of like Clark Griswold. I'm like, I think I've got them down here in this drawer, but I'm not really sure, but we'll see. Uh, so, hey, very uh, hey, libertarian of you, Ting Ting, I agree. So 
Let's kind of see his bacon. Uh, John Rice, our good buddy, John Rice. Uh, Vira, don't kill people. Maybe not even just read the uh, contagion myth. So, yeah. You know, one of the things, so I had a, a very awkward holiday experience, um, family gathering, you know, and, you know, and, and anyway, I'm like, I'm not sharing out personal information at a family gathering because uh, if everyone wants to share out their complete personal information of their medical histories and other histories, then I guess maybe if we're all on the level ground for that. But, you know, when I start to pose questions like, um, are you going to be able to go to the post office tomorrow? Is the post office closed? Well, I can go to the post office tomorrow. Is your postal carrier doing anything different? Have you seen them in full antiviral gear, like a yellow gown and gloves that they change out, or like a UV wand as they deliver your mail or a mask? No, I haven't seen that. Okay. So, you know, you start to pose these things. Here's, it feels like, you know what? Um, here's from the FDA website. You know, um, Pfizer has applied, requesting 55 years before people um, have the right for a freedom of information request, meaning they can't be brought before Congress or even the president to talk about trials and things. Um, anything with that that seems kind of out of the ordinary, considering there's 20 years for a, a patent for a medicine, 20 years is the most. And does that 55 years, does that ring a bell with anybody? Anything else 55 years? You know, which I kind of know, right? So, but I'm like, I don't, I don't bring this stuff with me. Um, but sometimes you're forced to unpack it in the presence of people. And I don't like that. And I don't, I, I don't appreciate when people put me in that position, you know, uh, but anyway, you know, so, um, let's keep going down here. So, uh, <laughs> the dating app. <laughs> yeah. Like it. That was, that was actually, okay. That was a genuine, it's, it's such a genuine kind moment. Um, again, the student, I mean, cause it's a trusting one thing you learn when you work with students who are blind is there is such a high level of trust that, I mean, before they invest their trust in you, you really have to earn it. And there's something called hand under arm, um, guidance. Like I will go, I will hand under elbow. And it, so you don't have to use your cane. Like I, I'll get you down to the track or get you through a mall or something like that. And sometimes you would do that with, with a student. And for a student to, who usually used a cane to navigate, to not use a cane and trust you, that was a big thing. And a lot of students would say no if they didn't know you well or they didn't trust you. So if you have that trust from a student, you can put like a multiplier of a hundred on that because that is a big vesting of that student that like their life is in your hands at that point. And I never took that lightly. Like that was a big indicator. You could tell of how then the student rapport was with you in the trust level. So it was, it really meant something for a student to say, yes, I will allow you to allow you to guide me hand under elbow. So, um, John, my daughter's 13. God help if the school gets stupid. So <laughs> it's crazy stuff now, man. I'm like, you know, I watched The Breakfast Club and I was in school like at the same time of, you know, the characters and kind of the same age and stuff. Like it's not that way anymore. I'm building out a syllabus for spring. You know, I teach legal courses and I, I have a diagram that I'm going to share in that course that I, um, well, I'm going to share the diagram tonight. But I'm like, I don't even, I, I shouldn't say I don't know what to teach, right? I've been doing this for 20 years, but 
it's difficult because things are changing so quickly and the way that the laws are being interpreted and followed or not followed are changing so quickly. So I'm having to teach differently than I've ever taught before because I'll have to say things like, this is how this would be if the law was actually followed in. There were consequences right now for truancy or for regular vaccines for diphtheria and mumps and measles, like for things like that. Like here would be the consequences. But since like no one is enforcing that right now, here's the world we live in. And uh, and so it's kind of this both ways thing. So it's weird to teach that way. Um, and yeah, especially as like a 20 year PhD prof. I haven't had my, my PhD for 20 years, but like I'm pretty high ranking like where I'm at for a prof. And then to come in and just to be like, you know, be honest, like, you know, I know what I'm telling you isn't the way that what your lawyers are telling you in your district or how things are even enforced. Like, so <laughs> I'll tell you best practice and hope you do that. I'm not here to enforce things. And these, you know, are good people and stuff, but I mean, you got to be honest with people. Um, so here's a good from Bacon. I'm already image, uh, matching the hairs for the profiles. I can do things with my hands. <laughs> Other people, so I can only do. That's hilarious, Bacon. Oh my goodness, that is that is funny. Um, that is absolutely funny. So I'll tell you this: I played video games with kids, uh, like Call of Duty and stuff. Right, kids who were totally blind would play video games, which seems. Like you couldn't do this, right? I have a friend who was one of the creators of Minecraft and I shared this with him and I said, I work at a school for the blind and kids play video games even though they can't see. And he's like, what? I'm like, seriously, like they'll play like three, four hours a day. They'll be in the dorms and, and they do it like it works. So they asked me or they invited me. It's kind of like the cornfield and field of May is like, you know, come with us. So I was in the dorm lounge and the kids are firing up like Call of Duty. I don't know this very well. So of course, and there's this kid next to me and completely blind. This guy's controller in his hand. He's got like haptic orientation. He's completely blind. And he's like, all right, like it's going to be you and I against whatever. And I'm like, I have, you got to help me through this. Like I'm not, I'm not good at this. Right. I'm an, I'm an old man playing a video game and you're a, a kid and you're old, you're blind. Like how do you do this? Like, and the haptic or the, I don't know. And the kid's just like dominate. He's like going through it. And I'm just like, you know, I'm a minute in, like, you know, somebody takes me out and, uh, and I'm just like, uh, it, but it's this experience. How in the hell do, I mean, kids who are blind play video games and they do. And so it's one of those things too, where I also had this check on what I was, was thinking as parameters and things. And then, you know, what, like, again, I blend it back into school safety and these, things of what expectations for people and things like ours, you know, we don't set the bar high enough for people and, and it's a discount of what people are capable of. And maybe, and that reflects right down to all of us, like to our, ourselves, we discount that. But anyway, yeah. So I got, and the, and the kids are like, come on, come on, Dr. P like you can, you can do this. I'm like, yeah, seriously, I'm doing the best I can. So I'm, I'm, I'm cited and there's like, you know, Students who aren't sighted and they're, they're playing this game is wild. It was absolutely wild. Um, so this is uh, Heather Williams. Hey, Heather, thank you for being here. At this point, um, being very well sighted, couldn't even trust my own judgment. And life felt cool to you. So thanks. <laughs> thank you, Heather. I appreciate that. So I, I'll tell you that uh, again. Like I could go, I, I could go on, um, and I, and sometime we'll have on one of my my former coworkers, Justin. Um, at the school for the blind, it it was. It, I just 
cannot express how much of an impact that job had on me and and how working how important working there was for me it was kind of like i i think it would be like working a school maybe in the 1950s or 60s you know you didn't have the crazy discipline stuff the police coming into schools the back went down to a track and then the track went down to a river and and the school had been there since 1849 i mean the current the current building was like you know the 1960s but all so you just had this this sense of community and this you, you know your kids weren't swearing at you they were, they were naturally a lot of please and thank yous and um i don't know uh it was almost the sabbatical of the mind to come into that i worked and i shared this i worked with people who were all stars in other districts people who were coveted by districts all around who had come to that location and you kind of figured out why because the kids were pretty awesome. It was a, they were eager to learn. Admit, you had a high staff to student ratio. Um, you had support from administration. Like you could kind of, you could invent things as you're going into this. Like, how do we, how do we do this? And, um, and you're just, and you didn't have a school board. There wasn't a school board. So you didn't have all these crazy politics coming into play. And so it was liberating for people who were stars in other places, but either got, hit the third rail in politics or something like that and got burned out of there. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was absolutely amazing. Um, I just, I, I can't, <laughs> I, I cannot uh, just thank fate enough that that happened to me, that opportunity uh, from, you know, my timeline to have, to have that line up. It was, it was great. Uh, man, uh, Martin Kaminsky. Hey Martin, Welcome. Uh, man against the masses. Why doesn't the US USPS have an after hours package drop off for prepaid? They should. Absolutely. <laughs> Martin, you're right on. Thanks, buddy. Like a big shoe. <laughs> no, like, right. <laughs> so safety doc, uh, you experienced much bullying amongst the kids. I didn't No, no, uh, not amongst, um, visually impaired kids. And part of it too, is I, do, I also don't think like you never had the competition of like, oh, you're wearing this clothing or you have this phone or whatever. Like there, there wasn't, it was very little. Um, we never had a call for the police because of school violence. We never, we had kids typically would be like tobacco. They bring in um, stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was actually pretty tame stuff, like probably 1950s, sixties type stuff. So um, media hits. Those kids could have used video games as safety simulators. Who knows? Yeah, I don't. It's a good question. Uh, Martin Kaminsky, are you shipping from home? And then um, I'm not trying to be rude. I promise. Is it anything like the school for the blind that Mary and Adam ran on Little House and Prairie? I I honestly don't know that. I know their their one daughter became blind right later in life. I don't know. I I don't know the Little House and Prairie series well enough. Um, I used to watch it like, but it's, I haven't seen it like in 15 years. Um, so, but that, that episode from last week, I go into quite a bit of that. I'll tell you, I was Heather, I was, I think I was uh, terrified when I first went there for, for a few reasons. One is I was like, if I have to learn Braille, like, how am I going to learn Braille? Like at my age? And I just don't think I'm going to be able to do it. And then like, how do you interact with, um, blind kids? Like, how do you, how do you do this? And the thing is like that 
first of all, you don't have to learn Braille ex except visual Braille, like be able to, to read the six dot um, square, you know, rectangles and things like that, which wasn't that hard, like once you practice it. And then you just, it, kids are kind of kids, like, right? You just kind of figure it out and their sense of humor and, yeah, and, you know, stuff. And, um, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a, it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, and then the orientation mobility, like how you learn the cane stuff. Basically, you're not teaching kids a cane stuff, but you're reinforcing. So you know, like what good cane sweeps are. They're going down hallways and you can reinforce things like that and, and stuff. And, and FIAD was absolutely awesome. Like I was embedded into the, FIAD program with some of the students that I worked with. And oh, we had, we had people from all around the country who would come in and, and watch the FIAD teacher work with students. Literally. I mean, it was it, it it was a showcase in a round gymnasium with a round track up above this building won an award, this this gym when it was was built. But uh, this guy was so good. Oh, so good. Um so voting ballots should never be sent through the mail or dump dropped. We already seen the convenience of pals. Yeah, I'm with you there. <laughs> if you can't get out to, to, you know, mail or have a really, you know, viable process that's verified for mail-in ballots, come on. I mean, this is democracy. This is America, right? So, so let me get over to our, our show. Um, so this is Here's what's happening right now. The CDC, Centers for Disease Control, on uh, December 17th, came out with new guidance for schools. So here's what the CDC does. It's not a rule. It's not legislation. Schools do not have to follow this. But schools for pandemic stuff, typically what they're supposed to do is follow county guidance. Most counties by this time have thrown up their hands and said, Good luck. Like you do what you want to do. You be you. <laughs> so schools have to do something. So schools then kind of default to CDC guidance. And the CDC for the last year had this in place where basically if you are a student, and I'm going to bring up the image here of what, what happens. So let's do this. Don't tell me my memory's full. I know that's a lie. Um. All right, let me bring up the screenshot. So this is from my kid's school. This arrived today. Um, so this goes on and on, but you can kind of see. We get like four of these a day because we've got two kids in school. And so this is an email we or a text we got, and then we get an email that goes with it. It says, the following are the current expectations. Let me make this a little bit bigger. And then... The following are the expectations. Quarantine expectations if your student is having symptoms. So basically, you get a notification that says, hey, your kid was in a class where a close contact was somebody else who tested positive for COVID. And then you get this. Um, the following are the current quarantine expectations. If your student is having symptoms consistent with COVID-19 infection, they need to quarantine and or obtain a PCR COVID-19 test, not the rapid test. <laughs> right there, you're going to lose half the parents, especially in the community we live in. Um, okay. PCR test, not a rapid COVID test. What is a, what is a symptom consistent with COVID-19 here in Wisconsin in winter where everybody has colds or if they're outside and it warms up, they have allergies, but anyway, okay, we'll keep going. 
Um, if your student does not show symptoms of COVID-19, they may remain in school this period of quarantine unless someone in the home has tested positive. Okay, so I guess if a sibling tests positive, the other sibling. If someone in your household tests positive for COVID-19, the district requires all, all, all household members to stay home. And then it keeps going, but this is all from my screenshot. And so, so the way this works currently in schools, and this is pretty common, especially in Wisconsin where I'm at. 421 school districts. If uh, So the schools know by the schedule maker, right? So if it's an elementary school, it's pretty easy. Like you're in this homeroom, so these are the kids you share your day with. At high school, it's a little diff different because it's like, okay, you're scheduled for six-hour geometry and this other student has six-hour geometry. It's 50 minutes long in the block schedule. Um. But anyway, like schools kind of have this figured out. So th these emails come out all the time to the point where they've lost all effectiveness. Like this is ubiquitous. Um, so the way it would work though is basically saying, hey, like there was somebody in your kid's class, they tested positive for COVID. If your kid has symptoms, they should test or stay home. Okay, we got it. Now, per the CDC, December 17th, the CDC is changing this. So the CDC has come out with this new guidance, right? So um, here's what the CDC says. And then I'll bring up the, the website. So on this, December 17th, the CDC came out with new guidance. This isn't a rule. This isn't a law for schools. But a lot of schools are following this. Uh, they're following what the CDC recommendations are because they're getting nothing from their state and they're getting nothing from their local county health. And they don't want to, if they get sued, they want to be able to show that they followed something that quote unquote was reputable. I talked about this with Lisa Linney on one of my podcasts too. Parents were suing school districts saying, hey, you didn't do enough to protect my kids here in Wisconsin. So schools, if they are following CDC guidance, they could fall back on that, right? If they're sued, say, hey, we're following CDC guidance. And usually then a judge or fact finder would look at that and say, yeah, you know, um, they did their due diligence, the district. So here's here's how this is changing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do three. I'm going to do five things, not three things. Do five things. I'm going to talk you about talk to you about what has changed from the CDC starting December 17th. How things currently work in schools. Remember, I was a school administrator for 20 plus years. So <laughs> I'm going to tell you exactly how this works. A lot of my friends are school administrators. I'm going to tell you also like this has a lot of contact tracing in it. So what does that mean? Contact tracing. Uh, what is this whole testing that they're going to require? Testing to stay in school? So what does that look like? And, you know, also the fact testing at the same time, like insurance companies have come out and said, by the way, we're not picking up the cost of testing for COVID anymore. Good luck. And I'm going to also then pull back and put up a slide and show you before all of this COVID stuff was kind of in play, what did it look like for immunizations in schools? What were the requirements and how compliant were schools with that? And what happened if you had a student who arrived at your school one day and they didn't have any immunization records and the parents didn't file an exemption because of religious re reasons or whatever? What happened to that student? So I'm going to go through that with you and, and put up a pretty amazing graphic I made today. The graphic is so so because i made it but um i'm going to, it's going to be enlightening you're going to look at this and say holy smokes and that's the point i'm going to get across is the system they're making it sound like this is a very tight controlled system <laughs> which it completely is not um so yeah this this isn't uh so anyway 
So December 17th, the CDC comes out, and this is what they say. So I'm going to, to read it. I might as well put it up on the screen here. If... So let's do this. All right, let me make this a little bit bigger. All right. This is from my show notes, by the way. Um, okay, let me read this. Uh, from the CDC, December 17th. Test to stay combines contact tracing and serial testing, testing that is repeated at least twice during a seven-day period post-exposure to allow asymptomatic school-associated close contacts who are not fully vaccinated and do not test positive for SARS-CoV-2 to continue in-person learning because fully vaccinated close contacts are not required to quarantine following exposure. They would not be included to test in state. So basically, if you're vaccinated, this doesn't apply to you. Students who participate in test to stay should consistently and correctly wear masks while in school and should stay home and isolate if they develop symptoms or test positive for SARS-CoV-2. Um, in the studies done in Illinois and California, both the person or both the person, that's interesting because this I took it directly, both the person, it's two people, but it's one person with COVID-19 in close contact had to be properly masked at the time of exposure to qualify for test to stay. Let me get over here. So, um, okay. If students are um, considering implementing tests to stay, if schools, excuse me, are implementing tests to stay, they should have a robust contact tracing process in place and access to testing resources. For example, testing supplies and personnel to conduct testing and access to existing community testing site among other layered prevention strategies, testing frequency can vary, for example, from twice to in a seven-day period daily, but more frequent testing can more quickly identify students who become infected and need to isolate. So, all right. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm like, a, what? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I have a, two masters and a PhD, and not that I have those hanging on the wall and you know stuff like that, but I'm like, what the hell? Is, this is crazy. Like, your parents aren't going to understand this. Your teachers aren't going to understand this. And so you are now also saying in this that it's like kind of free lunch in schools, right? Like, you could never identify as a school administrator who was getting free and reduced lunch. And if you ever publicly had done that, if that was ever out, like, you'd be done. You'd be fired uh, because it's confidential information. So basically what they're saying here is, oh, like HIPAA, like with your medical records, okay, but <laughs> we're identifying if you haven't been vaccinated, then you have to go through this. So so you are identifying, right, then you're not applying this to everybody. You're identifying students who have not been vaccinated. And I don't think the vaccines approve it for a six-year-old anyway, but anyway, um, so to me, like, this is a HIPAA violation. But again, everything's out the window right now, right? I talked about this. Everything's out the window. So um, so what they're saying is your child, who's a 14-year-old, um, you're notified, hey, like, in their seventh-hour class, there was a student who tested positive for COVID. And because of that, now your student who is not vaccinated needs to take this test. 
And if they test negative, then they get to stay in school. If they test positive, then they need to stay home for X number of days, which we will determine as a school district. And then they also have to test negative to return to school. So that's basically what they're saying here. So let's just soak that in for a little bit. So now you have to test to stay. You have to test negative, test negative to stay in school. And I'm amazed, first of all, this isn't for everybody, right? Because we know that vaccinated people become uh, symptomatic of COVID. They catch COVID, right? <laughs> like That's pretty well known. But yet they would get to stay in school. I, I don't quite get this because then they could even, they could give it to someone even though they've been vaccinated. I, I just don't, I don't quite get that. But um, so this is this model. Why is this happening? So that's a big question. Why is this happening? This is happening because um, this is overwhelming schools. This is overwhelming local health departments. It's kind of like the NFL. The NFL coming out and say, oh, we're going to do these modified rules. <laughs> so like if you've tested, you know, what, whatever, we're going to give this bigger time frame because they don't want to cancel games and stuff like that. It's the same thing that's kind of going on with schools, this whole test to stay. Um, so let's go back to my beginning. Um, so this is the new CDC guidance. Hey, do this test to stay. At the same time, right, when... Um, major insurance companies are coming out and saying, by the way, we're not covering testing. So parent if your kid is tested. And but I guess you can buy a test. I don't even know what that cost is. But and then how how good is that versus and then <laughs> you know all these variables come in like right like what if a kid has the flu or what if they just have seasonal allergies or what if they just ate a bad potato salad from Aunt Edna at Christmas. Anyway, it sucks. Um so how this currently works in schools, schools do not have contact tracers. Do not be fooled and, you know, that they have contact tracers. All they have is computer programs that tell you who's in what class during what time. And they can identify from those programs if a student um, who's tested positive, for example, who a parent has come forward and said, hey, I got call in today, a student's tested positive or COVID. They can track that in their systems against who's been in similar, same classrooms, right? Same space. That's it. There is no person in one of my fall superintendent classes, one of my students was given access by the county to the dashboard and could type in anybody's name and bring up all of their information, address, all that stuff, where they have been, all of this stuff. Show me the dashboard. Showed me the dashboard. And I'm like, I don't think you should have access to this, dude. And he's like, uh, our county's not doing anything, and they said if you want to contact Trace, like be our guest. Here's our password. Log in under the county site, which he did, and I saw he did this. And I'm like, don't show this to the whole class, but what do you have access to? So the guy's logging in. He's showing me like I can go in and notify people that you know have been in contact with the family if they report out and this and that. I'm like, this, you shouldn't have access to this. <laughs> like, it's a weird thing, but. It's not like he was necessarily doing something wrong. He wasn't, but he shouldn't have had this access. The county just bailed. So this whole thing on contact tracing is garbage. This this whole thing of, you know, it, remember a year ago, it looked like there was going to be this thing of like, there would be professional contact tracers. What do you do for a job? I'm a contact tracer for Christ's sakes. Contact tracer. Okay. guy's a contact tracer. Did you know Doc was a contact tracer? I didn't know. That. I think Doc would do that. Doc wouldn't do that. But it's a contact tracer. So what Aaron Clary does. It's a contact tracer. 
I don't really know if that's what he does, but but I thought that was going to be a full time job. It looked like it was going down that that road. Um, but this is schools don't have this. It's all it's all based on the formulas for the schedules and the algorithms and that. They don't know if kids have been in a lunchroom or a hallway or extracurriculars or stuff like that. So so you get these emails which are automated and telling you your kid has been in close contact. And if they have symptoms, right, which could be and are likely similar to flu, cold, allergy, tiredness, things like that. Oh, Lord. So anyway, what are the demands on contact tracing? I can tell you, in Wisconsin where I live, 421 school districts, half them under 1,000. They do not have anybody assigned to contact tracing. Nobody, nobody is doing this. There's no surveillance system to monitor where kids are. <laughs> There's nothing, right? There's So you, you get this impression from the CDC of, oh, you need this robust contact tracing system. There is that, uh, that capability to do that applies to maybe 10% of the country's schools. The country's schools. We have 855,000 students who attend school in my state. Maybe 10,000 of those students attend schools that have the capability to do this with some fidelity, maybe. So the whole contact tracing thing gone. So, okay, we'll contact trace. Well, what does that mean if you're a parent and you're, whole, you're told this? Like, what, do, what does it mean when I get these four messages a day? Here's a, the you know, and check your, your email stuff. It just, it means that their algorithms have, you know, brought this up to the the forefront. That's what it means. The computer systems have done it. They know that your kid was in a class with somebody else. And if it's more than 15 minutes, then it is. Um, So this whole thing, you're not hiring contact tracers. You're not hiring more people. There's no more money coming out to schools. Like I said in the last show or the face validity show last Friday, schools spent their money. A lot of them on crazy stuff like artificial turf football fields. But this whole thing is, is so this contact tracing thing, right, is being done through algorithm. This is not being done by person. Which, um, so let's get into the part of testing. So this whole thing of like testing kids to stay, are the schools going to have these tests in sack? Well, I'll tell you what, in my state, 421 districts, a lot of those districts do not have a full-time nurse. Some districts have a nurse two times a week, and that's it, a county nurse. So then who's who's doing these testing? Doing testing? Who, where do these tests come from? Who decides when to administer them? Is Does there need to be consent? So that's something that came up here when I went through the CDC's stuff. And what did it say? Um, I don't know. I, I, think it, I think it said that the parents... I'd have to go back. I don't have all my notes fleshed out for this. I think it said the parents need to give consent, but anyway. Um, so, so your kid is being tested and yeah, so it's, it's just, it's, it's weird, right? So school, they're not going to have the capability to, to do this. Like there's no way that this will be done with fidelity if school, schools go to test. So what this really, what does this mean from a face validity standpoint? As I sit here and I'm looking at this, if I was to go in and teach my superintendents tomorrow, I'd be like, what does this mean from face validity? What it means is you're going to remote because there's no way you can pull this off. You cannot pull this model off. If you don't try to do this model, you're going to be out of compliance with CDC guidance, which then weakens your legal protections. Even though you have much protection afforded to you as a government entity, um, immunity provided to you through the law, uh, you're not going to be 
aligned with CDC guidance. So basically you're going to say, we're gonna go remote in your school board because we can't do this contact tracing with Fidelity. So this whole testing thing, if you really read where this is going, right? Like from the docs standpoint, I'm looking at this, I'm saying they're forcing people to go back online. And you're gonna see this all over the country because districts will look at this and say, we don't have the res we don't have the kits, we don't have the resources. How long this will, you know, the people will do this, how long this will take. Is it every day we're going to end up testing kids? And then, you know, there is an important part here that we're overlooking. And I'm going to take a break and get over to the chat. You guys have been doing a great job. Um, this this throws out all the HIPAA protections. As a school administrator, I'll, I can't stress to you, as it was the U.S. Department of Ag, how much, if we were ever to give out information about a student who re received a free or reduced lunch, the consequences of that, you'd be fired. Yet, or a student that had an allergy or a student had a disability as a special education director, yet that information is clearly evident, right? If a student is coming, if you're forcing a student to take this test in order to stay, a negative test that they did, you know the only reason that student is being tested is because they haven't been vaccinated. Because if they've been vaccinated, they don't have to test, even though they might be positive. So that's a HIPAA violation, flat out HIPAA violation, flat out. But it's like, okay. Again, we're playing under a game with different rules. This is like Jumanji, for God's sakes, which I never quite understood all the movies. First one was the best. This is Jumanji. This is where the rules don't apply anymore. And again, I teach this stuff for God's sakes. I am teach legal courses. I've been a professor for 20 years. And when I, you know, I work with, with, you know, lawyers and experts and, you know, they're like, this doesn't make, this, this doesn't make sense, right? You're breaking one law to apply a guidance document, right? Or a guidance, document. I don't know. Um, so anyway, that, that comes up. So I'm going to, to take us to a macro look. We're going to look at immunizations in general, because I think this, this doesn't come up enough. Um, so let me do this. Um, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Show's not done. Show's far from done. Um, the typing isn't the best. So, um, yeah, here's what I want to show to you guys. Yeah. Let's do this. Um, let me bring this up, by the way. Okay. I don't, you, a lot of you have probably seen this, right? Um, so this is from whitehouse.gov. So not making this up, right? Uh, this, this is a message that went out. I think it was yesterday. I think so. And to me, I'm not the only one, but this is completely distasteful, inappropriate, fear-mongering, um, you know, talk about, as a professional who's written the velocity of information, who studied public messaging during World War II, the um, Committee for National Morale um, for uh, FDR's fireside chats, Wilson's four-minute men, uh, you know, to have vast knowledge in this. The White House to send this statement out. And let's read it. If you haven't seen this, this is appalling, absolutely appalling to send this message. Here it is. We are we are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work 
in school for the vaccinated. You've done the right thing and we'll get through this. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families in the hospitals. You may soon overwhelm. That's garbage. That is a horrible statement. And, you know, you would never see this from FDR uh, during the, the 30s and 40s. Never see this from FDR. You never hear this in a fireside chat. Uh, this, is dis this is distasteful. It's disgraceful. Uh, it's absolutely horrible and fear-mongering. What if you are a seven-year-old and you're like, it's not approved for me yet to be vaccinated, right? Or, and, and you're looking at this and saying, am I going to die, mom and dad, because of, you know, the president is, the White House is saying this. This is, um, this is irresponsible. It's immature. Actually, this isn't even written that well, to be honest, but um, as someone who is an expert in chaos, and this is where I'll, I'll, I'll put my weight behind this and my PhD and my two books and my PBS presentations, this is horrible. And to, to not, um, you know, this, this message is going to be responsible for suicide. This message is going to be responsible for anxiety and mental um, distress and finite voltage, which I write about very explicitly in my book. What if you are somebody who has a, a medical condition? What, you know, you're going through whatever right now, and your doctor's saying, this isn't, we don't want vaccines for you right now. And you get this message then from your, your White House. Anyway, this, I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. Uh, this is juvenile. Um, it's disgraceful and d distasteful. I, I'm appalled by it. Um, it's unprofessional, right? There are so many ways you could go about this in, in framing this in an FDR fireside chat approach, in a Wilson four-minute speech approach. Um, instead of coming out and saying, for the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and mercies. Let me remind you, lady and, ladies and gentlemen, my article that I wrote back a few years ago before all the COVID stuff about MRSA, the flesh-eating bacteria, and how President Obama had issued a presidential order that there be a database created for all this stuff that never got done, right? And to this day, hasn't, it never came to fruition. Um, and we know that that is still happening in places. Um, but I'm, I'm just, I am, you know, I, I sit here and, and I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't, I can't believe that that actually, right? Like, who would approve that? And that obviously came out through layers of people. If it comes out through the, you know, the White House, who the hell would do that? That is, it's just so wrong. Um, I'm really, I'm really, I guess, um, irritated by that. I don't want to say angered because I don't want anybody to, right? Those always angered. So we'll contact the, the FBI. No, I'm irritated by it. It's unprofessional. It's a, it's completely, um, uh, with any lack of, of due diligence and it's not the proper way to message people and to move them forward. Um, my, I, I'm not going to get into that deep because my book does it. Um, talking about um, proper messaging, democratic surrounds, and so forth. World, World War One, World War Two, the Great Depression, and so on. Um, it's, but anyway, so that's where we're at. That happens at the same time the schools get this, 
hit, right? If you're a school administrator right now and you're bored, you're having these meetings saying, what are we going to do? Probably nothing until after the break, but after the break, what are we going to do? And a number of schools just be like, we're going to go remote. We're not going to deal with this. So let me go over to the CDC website, which we all have come to know. So yeah, this is the new stuff, December 17th right here. And you can, and I'll link it out down in the podcasting, but yeah. COVID tests are free, quick, and easy. Not true, by the way. No longer true. A lot of major insurance companies came out in the last two days and said they are not doing this. If you're saying, well, they'll be tested at school, not all schools have the capability to do this. So, um, yes, be that's that's just not, it's not an authentic, it's not a true statement. If student or staff member test positive, test to stay, this whole the thing. So here's a face validity standpoint. Here's test to stay. If you are a parent and you are looking at this, I have a PhD. Again, folks, I love all of you. Thank you so much, my my people in chat, the audience. I'm not using this to say, oh, I have this greater knowledge set than you do. Absolutely not. But I'm saying, I'm looking at this saying, I'm not sure what this means. This is really word intense. We don't have images. We don't have graphs or, you know, diagrams. This is, this is difficult for me. This is not, this is basically meant to, when you look at texts like this in this format, this is called hammer text. Hammer text means you're the nail. And you're going to be hammered down by this. You're going to look and say, they obviously know what they're doing because this is very sophisticated, high-level text. If I was to go in and do a readability scale for this right now, what the hell, right? We're on live. We're doing this live. We're doing this live. So, um, doing it live. Don't bail. Don't bail on the dock. You don't want to be that person because I'll know. I'll watch this later. Be damn disappointing. All right, let's do the first, let's do this. We're gonna we're gonna take this first paragraph, right? Which nobody has done. You're seeing this done live for the first time. I'm gonna paste it over here. All right, let me show you what I'm doing. So all right. I'm over here into what is a readability formula calculator, which I actually use in my class because I have students say like, yeah, take your middle school handbook and let's take the section on bullying or harassment or threat reporting. Let's run it through here and see what the readability is. So I just took that first paragraph from the CDC. Let us check. Am I human? I think so. For this, I am. Let's check the readability. Before we do this, for goodness sake, does anybody want to take prediction? 12 is 12th grade level senior. Is this going to come out at what level do you think this will come out at for reading level? Is this going to come out at 8th grade, 12th grade, 14? So that's how they're going to do this. I don't know. I've never done this. This is live, real time. This is live. So this is live. Sass is saying 8, but it looks like a smiley face. I'm not exactly sure what he's got going on there. All pro lemon time. I have to do this work. Plain writing doesn't allow passive voice. We need to keep readability. Great night. Great night. Okay. Let's do this. Let's see where this tests. Check readability. All right. Just clicked it. Your results. Um, here's your grade level, um, 17.8. Here's your, that flesh Kincaid is the most reliable. Um, smog's pretty good. That's 14. Automated is 20. Anyway, dun, 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 um, college with a bachelor's degree. 
So we just did it. We did it in real time. Hey, Shelter in Paradise, BV Luminous, 17, 16, 18, 8. Um, so guys, we've just done this. We've just done this as a group in real time. We've done this in real time. The first par the first paragraph, right? You gotta get that's the hook paragraph. Like you're writing a book, like you gotta have a good, good intro. The CDC's test to stay section, the first paragraph comes in that if you if you are reading this and you have a college degree, basically a bachelor's equivalent, you'll probably get it. Probably. This is crazy, right? Like this is this is so nuts to do this. This should be written at maybe eighth, ninth grade level, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's simplified. It means that it's very descriptive when you can do that. That's the difference. It's not that you're simplifying this thing down. It's that it's very descriptive. I, I look at this, I'm like, I don't know what the hell this means. And this and all this text, like simplified, have some graphics, have a, if this, then this, then this. I mean, but you don't do that. And the reason is you try to overwhelm people with this, right? You're trying to be the hammer. You're expecting them to be the nail. They're like, they must know what they're doing because this looks pretty sophisticated and they must, they must have it down. They don't have it down. And the fact that we just did this together and they're expecting this to be at a, six, a 16 or 17 grade level, right? That your entry to read this is, is ridiculous. Nobody on their side, like, picks, they don't care. Like, I care about this. That's why I teach this in classes. Like, if you're writing a handbook and your handbook comes out above 12th grade level for anything, like, you got to go back and revisit the handbook in a school because it's not accessible. Work on it. Make it descriptive. And we will do that in class and plug it back in the formulas, talk to kids, and they'll tell you if they understand it. It's not that hard. Did they go through anybody on this and ask them, hey, parent of a student who goes to school, can you read this and does this make sense? Or 20 parents or have like a paragraph down. But let me look for the paragraph down below where they said they tested this. They they had spare. Nope, it's not there. No, I guess it's missing. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. So so yeah, there, you know, there's nothing in here saying. So does it have to be there? No. But should it be there? Yeah, it should absolutely be there. Saying. You know, we we had parents participate in the development of this. A parent would never write this. <laughs> this a parent, could you imagine? A, well, not that. A parent, though, would never, ever write that. Um, so, so that's where we have to think. And this, you know, this comes in with a whole face validity thing for all of us. Um, this is CDC guidance. This is what your school administrators are supposed to decipher and then apparently get out the parents. So parents have access to this. This is not accessible. This is ridiculous. This is insane. And I'm calling it out. We've done it on live stream, right? We've done it. We've done the, the different indexes, the flush you know, reading scale, um, which says difficult to read. The Gunning Fog, very difficult to read. Flesh Kincaid, College Graduate and Above. Those are your three biggies. Like everybody knows those. So why do they do this, folks? So, right? <laughs> why do they do this? I can tell you I'm the only one 
in my arena here who's bringing this the stuff out right like you guys get it bv luminous all pro lemon tempo martin you guys get it like but the in my arena this isn't being talked about or there no one's being given a platform to talk about this uh and now imagine so we have 15 percent of students who have disabilities imagine and we have students who or we have parents who have limit you know autism cognitive disabilities english language learners so forth throw this out in front of them you know i i've i've learned over my careers my career ladies and gentlemen that people will try to exhibit positionality which is meaning when i was the school administrator i flatly knew that if people came into the school we had an edge because it was a big building we had the ability to tax them especially a new school building you know where you had these these big structures and things you had positionality there was weight on your side in meetings and stuff like that it's the same thing they're doing here with this stuff but you and i we see this and this is crazy this is crazy um it's kind of like here's us here's you here's us here's you you'll never understand this because we read it at this level and actually this isn't even that well done <laughs> I mean, i'm not looking at this saying oh my goodness dun, 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 dun. i'm gonna bring this out just for effect because it's kind of true i'm not looking at this with uh with this effect right here so I'm not looking at it with, uh, yeah, right here with, oh my goodness, look what they did. Look what they did. Look what they did. No, it's bad. So as I've called out and stuff like school of this is, it's bad. <laughs> so anyway, me pointing out that this is bad and you realizing too, it's also bad. Um, let's go over so, so anyway, these, these things, the schools, my prediction is a lot of schools will say after Christmas break, hey, we're done um, because we're not going to follow the CDC stuff because it's going to take too much resource <laughs> to contact, to trace, and, and um, we're not going to do it. So right now they're just doing it based on algorithms and, you know, the, the computers. So uh, I think they're going to bail on it. A, school, a few will hang out with it, but eventually... This is, this is setting up ripe for a non-discrimination lawsuit. I teach non-discrimination legal courses. <laughs> there is no way in hell this doesn't set itself up for litigation um, in that it would be a protected class or you could say, oh, but, you know, we're not, we're not going to identify, you know, but no, as long that it doesn't work that way. So this whole test to stay thing is wrought with obstacles. One is... Again, my state, 421 school districts, half of them have less than 1,000. They don't have contact tracers. How do I know this? I have students in my classes who tell me. I'm not just making this up. I know this authentically. We don't have this. If the computer tells us that the students have classes at the same time, done, then we'll send out the automated email. And their lawyers aren't helping them at all, right? So the worst advice you can get in a lot of these cases is from your legal counsel. They don't know how the medical side works and the school side works. But... Um, so and it, schools will follow or try to follow CDC because the counties are supposed to give guidance to the schools. M most counties now thrown up their hands, dull schools, do what you want to do. 
because the counties have turned over. These, these people have resigned every four or five months. They're like, we don't want to get caught in the crossfire of this. You're on your own. It's not dictated at the federal level. CDC is not law, but the district needs to demonstrate that they're following something because if they get sued, they have to show that they've done due diligence, that they followed something. The CDC would be considered reputable in the eyes of a fact finder, a judge, or a jury. So where do I think this is going? I think a ton of schools will go online after Christmas break. That'll be your Christmas surprise, parents. They're going to do it. Because if they don't do it, if they stick with their traditional models and not with this contact, with what they're doing now, saying, hey, your child's close contact, if they have symptoms, whatever, now they're not aligned to the most current CDC guidance. They're one step away. Puts them at more risk. School boards are going to be told by their attorneys, I don't know even though like it's almost impossible to, to sue a school board. So, um, and it, I guess it depends upon whether your state is red or blue, but you're going to see this. You're going to see a lot of schools in the next week saying, after Christmas, stay at home, Christmas vacation, Christmas vacation. Robert's going to be like, uh, zero weight oil. Be like, yes. So folks, here's what we are going to do. Um, I'm going to, to go through the chat and then I have a slide that I put together today that I want to show and to go through. And it was really informative for me because um, I, I had to go through like a lot of research, a lot of documents and, and kind of things that I, I got from, from the state and some, to put this together. There's one slide that makes a lot of sense when we look at it together. And I'm going to show you and explain to you, let's say like two years ago before COVID was a thing, what does immunizations look like in schools? What were what was required and what was really happening? And I think you're going to be like, ah, that's a lot different than what I thought or a lot different than what my school district thought. So right now, uh, thank you. Do not leave. So keep the chat going, everybody. And uh, let me check over here. Um, just a second. Um, so yeah, don't. Don't do that. I am going to put in a, so if those of you who haven't picked up, this is the restroom break part of the show for the night, which I have to make a little bit longer. So, uh, but anyway, um, first of all, please subscribe, smash that like button. We have a thousand subscribers. We probably have more right now, hopefully. Um, but subscribe tell your friends about the show, right? This comes out in audio. It also comes out in a blog post at safetyphd.com. There's 162 episodes there. So there's certainly episodes you're going to find. Um, before we go to break, just a reminder, you can still get it for Christmas, right? If it flies in by carrier pigeon or drone. So to your house, right? This will fly at a, at a drone at a thousand miles an hour right to your house and drop this down your chimney. Do not have a fire lit, Robert, on that day, whatever you do. This is the most, seriously, it is the most honest book about the $3 billion school safety industry. Um, school of Errors, Rethinking School Safety. And it's a, it's a, I write it to you. So as you, as you go through this, it's going to be like, Doc's talking to me. And I am. I mean, um, this is the, this is a truth book. You are going to find much interest in this as a taxpayer or as a parent. And, um, you know, this this was the book I wrote knowing that this would be the last book I would write as a school administrator. I wouldn't be hired somewhere after writing a book like this, talking about how the industry really works. And it was worth every, you know, inkling, every moment to do that. 
Um, this is an extraordinary book. And I also have uh, phenomenal interviews near Katie Pashan, Cajun Navy Relief. How does the Cajun Navy get involved when government kind of steps out? But really the whole, the craziness of school safety. If you're a parent, boy, you owe it to yourself to get this. If you're a teacher, so important when your district comes in and says, hey, wear jeans and uh, jean jackets and jackets the next day. What does it mean? It means you're going to get shot with a rubber pellet, right? Uh, because you're doing some crazy active shooter drill, which you don't need to do that type of drill. Um, so we're going to get into how all this stuff kind of unfolds. I also um, have a terrific section here about the rescue of 500,000 people in nine hours from lower Manhattan, 9-11, uh, how that happened. And it wasn't because everybody drilled and everybody had a place in line like to do this. It was because of this professional discretion and somebody making a decision. So, folks, I am going to be back with you in about 90 seconds. Now I'm going to leave in charge here Robert and Vanessa, Media Hits, Shelter in Paradise, BB Alumnus to keep things going. And uh, I will be back, though, buddy, and buddies and friends. So hang in there. And while we're doing that, I'm going to play this commercial. A must-read for parents, teachers, and taxpayers. Dr. David Perodin has written the most honest book about the $3 billion school safety industrial complex. Attorney James Sibley proclaims, A brave demonstration of speaking truth to power, School of Errors rips the lid off the billion-dollar school safety industry. Using real-world examples of successful responses in desperate situations, David contrasts the expensive window dressings pitched to panic parents with the inexpensive and effective approaches proven to actually work. Read this book before you let your school waste another precious dollar on meaningless safety theater. Buy the international bestseller, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, now at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Whoa! Whoa, ho, ho. So, uh, hang on. I just have to change one setting. All right. <laughs> I'm not as young as I used to be. So I need to make that two minutes. It's a, six, a 60 second clip. By the way, like the dude who's making the commercial for me for the new show, like should have that to me any day. So I got to, I got to check like kind of was like, um, yeah, just remembered. So thank you. Uh, thank you for sticking with the show. And let's go over to the comments. Been terrific comments. And let me catch up with that. Then I'm going to get into the graphic that I made and talk to you in truth here as a school administrator. What what does it actually look like when you know schools are saying, hey, like kindergartner, when you show up here, you have to have your immunization record for mumps, measles, polio, diphtheria, um, all that stuff. What does that look like? I'm going to bring up actual data on that. And I'm going to 
show you it's <laughs> not a not as clear cut as like what you think it is um and and then also you know we're going to have this this thought of like so so that's one system and now we're going to have this different system and but it's pretty it's pretty amazing i didn't i didn't know it until i was just curious i'm like i i found the data today broke the data down distilled it i'm going to share it for the first time on the show i was like what in the hell so let me go back here to uh so good friend Atham who says, ha ha. That's kind of his thing. Like Atham's always like, ha ha. And they're like, oh, the guy is laughing. He's having a good time. So they're like, that's a good time guy, Atham. So it's kind of how he's known. It's a good time guy. It's Atham. BV Luminous, uh, whatever shall we do? Lean upon Bennett and need to beg support from the so-called social superiors. Never. So yeah, nothing to expand on with that, buddy. Uh, thanks. If your vax are expired or don't take the next dose, you'll be considered vaccinated. You're right, Robert. That's the thing. And people um, don't realize that, too. <laughs> also, I mean, just personally, people won't realize that. But people in the school community of like, you know, there will there will be this. It's, you know, what is it going to to? It's the same thing, kind of a traditional vaccinations for mumps, or mumps measles, rubella, stuff like that. But. You're right on. And how do you measure that outside of really having an app, right? <laughs> or stuff like that. So, um, yeah, what is considered uh, what is considered being up to date? So it's a good question. And by the way, let me get that that banner off of there. <laughs> if if you want to go into to like Amazon and buy my book and leave a review, I would love that. But I'm not. Uh, I wasn't trying to overpress that. So, um, PV Luminous, well, just let them come and shoot me in the face for being fully unvaccinated. So, I hope nobody does that, buddy. You're a good guy. I don't want anybody to do that to you. Um, Robert wrote, from what I heard, coworker's wife, who is an MD. Okay. Um, Vanessa wrote, and all the districts without enough resources to attempt to teach over the web. So, yeah. So, Vanessa, you bring up a great point. Like, there's, the, I mean, Districts that where they don't have Wi-Fi access in rural, rural places, they can't even you know get the students. And, and another thing, you know, like I teach university courses in person in fall. I teach them online in spring, and I've done that for years. So I teach in Blackboard in spring through the university, and those are completely different classes to build out. So if you're already teaching in person, now you're told to go online. Like that's there's a lot of work to that. That's different. My face-to-face -face classes are always easier for me to teach than my online classes, always. Uh, so, and they're much, and they're different. They're not the same thing. So you're right. And where does professional just to tell people, oh, like now we're going online? <laughs> like I don't know. That doesn't work. I'll tell you. And from someone who's taught over a hundred classes, that isn't as easy as what you think it is. The bacon. This is uh, to Robert. Uh, you hear about those vax pills they're coming out with? Might be worth getting if they're somehow go by the honor system, like most places up here did. So, yeah, who knows? Um, and uh, Robert's saying, nope. Hey, uh, Salty, we won't leave you, Doc. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, baby luminous is from SAS, one too many. Um, if anyone tries to kill you, you try to kill them right back. So, wow, sassed. 
or you drive really fast in the cannonball run, 148.4 miles an hour. Uh, Vanessa, entering service, you get all the vaccines you had as a kid pretty much all over again. Yep. Yeah. So Vanessa was in the in the military, and, and I was not in the military, but uh, my friends said, yeah, we had all the vaccines as we went in. EK, we won't leave you, but first you must say, Simon says don't leave. Oh, I'm too late on that. I'll say it now, though. Simon says don't leave. So, all right. Of course, I defended myself. I love everyone, but I can't do that if I'm dead. So, Shelter Paradise. Uh, he made it to 1,000. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for celebrating that with me. I'm, you know, as, as the doc here, I never thought it would be that big of a thing to get to 1,000 subs. Um, and I, I mean, I wouldn't be here without all of you and without DLD, um, after dark, without bacon, uh, without John Crump live, uh, ba uh, flying rich. And I mean, and just go down the line, right? People, Aaron Clary, who mentioned on their shows, their bigger shows, right? About my smaller show. <laughs> uh, so I think, you know, everybody for doing that and, uh, because, I mean, there gets to be the, at some point, right, if you're just continuing to do content, I'm like, this is good content, like in the blog post. And, um, and if the show doesn't grow or, like, someone did bring it up on DuckDuckGo and they said, here, look at a lot of your stuff is being censored. It's not being out there. So then I never used DuckDuckGo until I used DuckDuckGo. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, I didn't realize that. Um, so it means a lot to me. And you're an intellectual chat, like you're smart people. And to have this this uh, interaction of, of a smart dialogue, smart uh, discourse uh, analysis is very important. There's just not enough of that happening anymore. Everything is like, so, you know, if, if someone doesn't agree with the position or like, ah, that's a confirmation bias. If it's not what I believe, then it's wrong. You're not like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I appreciate it. I am, I am really... Um, because right, if if the show wouldn't, if this wouldn't have happened, it it would have been harder to justify to myself the time to put into doing these shows. Uh, part of why I did these, you know, was just to put out there for the public knowledge base. Um, some of it was an expert witness work I did. It was an interesting hitch because like I could do shows on things that I needed to beef up for my expert witness profile, <laughs> so I could just do shows on that or interview people, then I could have something I could document saying, yeah, like I've got experience and whatever. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of like if you keep performing to an empty audience, at some point it's like, it's just not, it, you know, cost-benefit analysis is not there. But that's not where I'm at now. Uh, Media Hits, still listening, just making some playlists. Gotcha, buddy. Uh, by the way, Bacon, I uploaded a New York complaint fixed to make short to YouTube. Okay, Robert, thanks, buddy. Brand new Amazon warehouse, two miles from where I, from here, I will get fulfilled. <laughs> Vanessa, good for you, like having that warehouse. Man, I had an Amazon order arrive today, like ahead of time, which was really cool because it was that it was that license plate thing that I no, it wasn't that. It was something else because I ordered that directly from the company. But yeah, um, it was a it was a thumb drive, um, a miniature thumb drive. You know, it's like a centimeter long to go into the into the SUV because I didn't want the it didn't have a lot of room. So yeah, I'm like, well, back in the old days, we're getting the things arrive ahead of time. Uh, Bolo. Hey, Bolo. Welcome, buddy. Hi, Bacon. Long time. All pro. Hope you have a good day. Vanessa thinking we need those books delivered to school boards. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's I, I receive emails from people um, who say like, I'm a school board member and I found school of errors and I've shared it with other school board members and we've read it and it's changed things. Um, school of errors is an, is an interesting book because it is, if you are making a living selling things to school, bollard surveillance cameras, the book is, is a toxin to you. It's poison. Um, and I've had school boards, like one person contacted me from a major school board and said, I brought this up and like, it just, everybody just turned against me. And she's like, I wasn't going to have any of it. You know, she's feisty and stuff like this. And, and, uh, you know, I even want you to come in and to talk to like our, our school on an in-service day and they wouldn't have any part of it. And I'm like, and I said, that's kind of typical, you know, I said, I'm, my feelings aren't hurt, <laughs> that, but I said that reaction, the book is giving you an easement to the discussion. And to give you a, a the, to show you, there's two sides to this. There isn't just one side, which is all fortification of bollards and surveillance cameras and these hyper realistic drills and stuff. There are two sides. There are multiple sides, but at least two sides of this. And uh, and I probably receive that email once a couple of weeks, you know, from somebody because, like I said, you know, it's the the book is in hundreds of libraries and people buy it and school boards. And so I'll wake up in the morning check my email and there'll be something in there from somebody who's read. The, it's not hard to find out who I am, right? <laughs> you know, names on the book, right? That's a good part. But um, my email address is on the first slide of my PBS presentation. So people, I mean, if you Google me within about two minutes, you can figure out my email address. Uh, and that's also like through my website. I have like a different one that I use, but like, it's not hard to get a hold of me. So, um, so people will do that and and say like the book is has really really helped them or they're trying to uh, you know I mean some people it's made a big difference. There's districts that have I know that have changed their practice because of the book. Um, other people just stay stubborn. But um, I never thought. I mean honestly, I am thrilled. I mean the book is all over the world. I mean it is making. Uh, a difference. And that's what I wanted it to do. Uh, so every day, if I wake up and there's an email from somebody else, you know, or, or something, um, I'm, I'm just thrilled about that. So that's, that was the whole purpose. And the book also got me, uh, to be able to throw out the first pitch at a minor league baseball game right here. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Um, ultimate school safety tea. So it's a good book. It is Vanessa or Vanessa. Um, okay, you will you will love the book. Seriously, it is, and it also talks about social construct and the social trust, and it's it's just it's not like nothing out there. And if you read the reviews, you'll get the feel from people that like, oh my god, like I didn't know there was anything out there in the school safety area, kind of like this. And I wrote it, and a number of my friends are are parents who had children killed in school shootings, for example. So like I, as I was writing this, I'm kind of making sure, like, I don't want to write anything where I'm, you know, not um, appropriately showing dignity to you. Right. Um, some school districts ban my wearing utility. Really, Vanessa? Really? That's crazy. Utility pants. Bacon to Robert. I'll check it out. Uh, Sheldon Clocks. I gotta, you know, I gotta come up with a, with a new, like a two minute break thing. Now I know what, uh, Terrence Pop does over on his show, 
But like he uses a reface app for one of the things, but you can't do that legally. Like I, I checked into that. Like I was, I was going to try to do the reface app and then have it um, like two minutes of me in different clips, like with a reface with, with some background music, but like, that's not allowed <laughs> per reface. Like they could, they could come after you for that. You're only supposed to use it for yourself. So I'm like, God oh, dang it. Like, I think that would have been pretty cool to have like two minutes of the doc in different reface app things. But um, Vanessa, what does teaching math have to do with the name close I choose or absolutely right. You're right on Vanessa, right on. Be luminous. So when you say Vanessa, when you, the government, like, <laughs> oh my God, you're, that's funny. That's funny. They tend to keep you on your toes, the rubber bullets. So yeah, I told you like, I, I did one of these trainings and we came in with a, they're, I don't know if they're rubber pellets or they're more like hard plastic. And we shot out, um, a glass trophy case <laughs> and so those drill stops and like the custodian has to come in and clean all the glass. So then we just keep drilling. And these, these people have welts all over them that we would shoot up. I mean, it was just crazy. Like I have all the, I have video from that. I have pictures. There's a picture in school bears, me all dressed up doing that. I mean, this stuff was just, it was just insane. Um, it was, it was nuts. <laughs> uh, starts the full paper. I've got websites. Yeah. Wrong setting. Give us back your face. Oh my goodness. Cool. I, I've lived through real bullets where the government agents, uh, uh, where the, where were the government agents then? Yeah. Wings, airplane and chalkboard. Yep. Uh, let's go down. Um, this is from Vanessa. This state recently changed child in law to be 18 or less under the new lockup firearms are. Law, okay. Uh, be voluminous. That's the line, Doc. I don't want it either, but I'll stand on that for everyone who can't. Thanks, buddy. No commie jabby, no jabby for me. I'm a free person, and what it'll be, I'll die before you give the jab to me. So, ting ting. Um, here. Oh, Gloria Miller. Hey, Gloria. Thanks for coming. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe because I haven't seen you here before. Um, Jonas Salk, inventor of the IPV, uh, testified before a Senate committee that nearly all polio outbreaks since 1961 were caused by the oral um, polio vaccine. I didn't know that. I knew, you know, of Salk's work. I also knew, or I, I don't know, but I I guess I saw documentaries or read things where like Salk was, like other researchers were always trying to sabotage him. It was like this competition for like who would be first with the polio vaccine and trying to discredit this guy, but. I didn't know that. Whoa. So thank you. Um, Vanessa, I agree. Teaching math entirely or does not function well. Um, let us see. This is Vanessa. I'm glad I found your show through those others. Well, thank you, Vanessa. I'm, and I'm glad you're here and contributing. I very much am. Uh, Ting Tang to the bacon. I need to rewrite that song. I was basing off the 1814 song of the battle in Louisiana. So go for it, Ting Tang. Uh, Vanessa, in the classroom, you can scan the classroom to see the students' reactions during course. Video feed is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I have, and I guess university level, which is different, but I mean, I've taught over 100. I'd have to add it up. Somewhere I've like a total of every class I've ever taught in my life at a university level. Um, but I've taught over 100, and probably half of those have been online and half face-to-face -face. and it is it is much harder to teach and online <laughs> so my courses in spring 
Um, I, you know, from I live in Wisconsin, so it's like it's snowing. I hate snow, and I don't want to be outside. So I guess it's something. But this is Atham, by the way. Atham, two of my coworkers test positive and now infected with the disease. Oh my god! So that sucks, buddy. So um, we'll all be living in caves, six feet apart. And uh, Vanessa wrote, they wanted me to run at night and throw 10 pins over the nuke facility. <laughs> How do you think that goes? Holy smokes. This is from Vanessa. Ever do a training exercise in a secure weapons nuclear facility? Ask me about that one day. Wow. That's crazy. This is from Vanessa. Um, next fall, the hiring teachers is going to be difficult. Yeah. It's a big thing, right? So that hospital staffing, assisted living, nursing homes, all that, but yeah, hiring of teachers. So I was talking with a former administrator two days ago in the town I grew up in. He's like, we were paying $100 for subs a year ago, and we upped it to 120 Now it's 175 and We still can't get people. So, you know, you're going to be seeing districts pay $200 a day for sub teachers plus perks. Like if you sub first 10 days, you might get an iPhone or something just because they don't have anybody. So, um, Ting Ting can never be at the same fear level you did with shooting softballs in a nuclear gym. Probably not. Sass one too many. How many must suffer for your freedoms? All of them, Liberty, Twitter. Yeah. Wow. So let me let me go over to a graphic, and I might have to do a little maneuvering to get this this thing to work right. So I made this graphic today. So, so it's pretty good. Um, I mean, it's, it's a very good content graphic, and I'll we'll step through it. But there are some things in here. Hopefully, you're gonna be like, "What in the?" What in the hell? Here, let's try this. No, let's try this. All right. Um, I'm trying this Earthen view. I don't know. It's okay. I'm not super excited about different program I have. My computer starts starting to go a little wonky. Um, okay, let me bring this up. So what I want to talk about now is, um, well, let me do, can Khan Academy replace K-12 parents? Right. It's funny because like I have friends who are teachers, like Khan, Khan Academy is just like a accessory, like it's a feature, it's a supplement. I'm like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> but you know, if you pair it with videos, right? Like I learned how to change the light bulb on my 2007 Buick Lacrosse from the internet from watching videos, and the same like three videos where the different people, and the, but the same point in the three videos where a person say like, at this point. <laughs> The engineers designed the headlights before the engine stuff got completed. So there was more space meant to be here. Is there's little space now? So your hands are going to get all kind of ripped up doing this, but that's normal. And, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of these stuff, uh, and then, uh, gun websites are our good buddy there. And man, I've been checking out, uh, your channels when it, your shows are on. Thank you. Q is that website you use before to evaluate the reading level of the text. A free, it is a free service. Let me find, um, readability. It is completely free and it is very good. Uh, readability text. Hopefully I'll bring up the site that I just had. Yeah. Let me do it. Let me post it here for you. It's a free website. 
and you can post, uh, you know, a couple paragraphs into it. It's really good. I mean, for what I need to use it for. Um, I found it to be very accurate. I had a reading teacher double check things. And what it does is it gives you a couple scores. So I just posted it for you. Um, the one that I think is the most accurate of that. So again, I was a special education director. Um, I worked with reading teachers frequently is I think this, this one right here is the one I would kind of go with. It's called the flesh Kincaid score. So this is good too. Like, let's say you're doing a church newsletter, right? And you're like, I don't know if this is too sophisticated. And again, it's not, it's not a knock on people's intelligence. Um, at all. So um, it's not a knock on people's intelligence, but it, it, but there are ways to present. And this, this was found out in the committee for national morale in world war II. I wrote about it in the velocity of information. Um, you have to do, you know, images and very descriptive text. That's how people learn in, and, and, uh, you know, that's how information sticks with people. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter if a person is a PhD or not a PhD. It's just like, this is, this is the way to convey information. So that is, um, that is a, a really, is a, it's a great website. Like I said, it's in there. It's free. I just posted it for you. Readability, um, that flesh Kincaid score, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's really good though to, here's something I do with my, with my students in almost every class, you know, we go through bullying, harassment, and threat to harm or threat to others in the handbooks of students. Because that's basically every class I teach, like we get to that. I said, take your middle school handbook and take your high school handbook. And I want you to copy these sections and paste them in and show me these sections, email them to me. Uh, you know, you don't have to do the whole thing, right? It can be a paragraph, whatever. And I want you to, to tell me what the reading level comes out as. And then not only that, because that's a machine telling you, right? I want you to ask at least one student, maybe a couple students would be better, who are at that level, middle school or high school, and say, uh, and have them read that for you, that paragraph or two, and then have them tell you what it means to them. And you'll know right away if they get it or they don't. So how do you know if this is a threat? Who should you report it to? Uh, you know, stuff like that. And they'll be like, I don't know. I don't know what this means. I don't know. Report it via the system. What is the system? Is it an app? Is it teleperson? Tell an adult. So I'm like, that'll, it, it, and then also, of course, what I tell my students is then document that and present that to your board that you've used that as a measure to check your readability for your handbooks. So, um, so folks, what I want to do right now is bring up a graphic that I made today. And uh, here we go. So uh, share, share screen, share this screen, and there it is. Okay, let me get me out of there. All right, I put this together today. Um, this is in my state of Wisconsin, and let me let me just talk about immunizations. One, so. When I was a school administrator for 20 years, you were supposed to be able to, without a doubt, prove that 100% of, of your students attending your school had either been vaccinated with their mumps, measles, polio, uh, you know, the, the required uh, vaccines for 
kindergartner, K through five, for example, you had to be able to enter that into the state database. Um, and if the students did not have the immunizations, they had to have a waiver on file. So one of those two things had to be inputted into this database. So I wanna show you right here what I found out today. I'm gonna to use this in a spring class that I'm teaching. So in my state, and I don't think this is probably different. <laughs> I, I would say one out of 50 states that this probably isn't different across the other 50 states. I'd say Wisconsin's probably pretty representative. Um, so this is per the Department of Health uh, Services, per Wisconsin DHS. Students, so students have to be, are considered compliant with immunization law if they meet these conditions. One is they either have their records reported or that they have, or considered in process, or that they have a waiver on file. Records reported, waiver on file. Here's what I found. We have 421 districts in our state. Half of these are less than a thousand students. One is an island where the superintendent shovels the, the sidewalk in front of the school when it snows. They don't have a cafeteria, so the kids just go in and <laughs> they have a couple microwaves. Kids micro there's like 60 kids, they microwave their food, go to the lunchroom. But um, 421 school districts. 32 of those school districts, I'm pulling this, the link is right down below. Have it in the website. 32 out of 41 districts didn't report anything. They didn't, they didn't complete the report. Hell with it. We're not doing it. So imagine that. Imagine that. 32 out of 421 districts didn't report anything. They're required by law. There's a state statute for this. There is a state statute. And penalties if you don't report this as a school district. 32 out of 41 districts said, ole, we're going to work to get back to 1,000 subs, and that's where we're putting our energy right now, which I appreciate. But you got to do this. This is a non-negotiable. This, non this is crazy. And I know this is a lot of work for nurses because my nurses would always say, when I was a school administrator, this is taking up a lot of time and tracking down all of this stuff. And But 32 out of 40, 421 districts, 8% said, no, <laughs> we're not submitting this. So that's one problem. Here's the other problem, folks. The state didn't go after them. State's like, oh, you didn't submit it? Okay, here's what we're going to do. See where this is in green right here? Oh, see where this is in green? Uh, no reports received. Okay, that's what we're putting because we didn't get a report from you. They're not following up with these districts. How do I know? I know these administrators. I talked to them. Hey, did the state follow up on you because you didn't have your... Uh, Immunization reported? Ah, no, Dave, come on. They didn't follow up us up. They got other things to do. I don't know what. This is ridiculous, though. So they didn't follow up. So hypothetically, you could have students move into the district. You could have uh, transient students, uh, students across uh, the border come into your district. Students have typhus. Students have diphtheria, other things. You never know. You never know if they've had vaccines, if they haven't, what their history is. You would never know. So this is an actual law that you have to have this. 32 out of 421 districts, 8% non-compliant, not doing it. What are the consequences? Nothing. Nothing. There's zero consequences. That's why I say it is extremely hard right now 
to teach legal courses when what I talk about, what I teach, there's no consequences if people aren't compliant. So we get to this whole thing of, oh, like COVID and, and test to stay and all that. Test to stay, you have 8% of your school districts right now who didn't even submit the report last year for immunizations, which isn't new. They've had to do this for you. They just said, we're not doing it. And we know you're not going to come down on us for it. So we're just not going to do it. <laughs> and so, okay, well, let's go through a few of these things because I want to put them up. I, I want to talk about them. Um, here's the first one. So we have up here a couple districts that I, I took a sample of 12 districts, right? So not to <laughs> not to go crazy on this and put every district in the entire world up here, but uh, but yeah. So some of these districts are just like, we're not submitting anything. We didn't submit anything. You're not following up with us, too bad. Uh, a couple districts near me, Baraboon, Portage, 100%. That's good. So that means that either the students have been immunized or they have a waiver on file, 100%. Um, here's the sampling across my state. Let's just look at it. Fall River, smaller district, not too far from me, 99.38%. You're thinking that sounds really good. Well, that's three students who are not in compliance. Okay. Montello, a district close to me, 20 minutes away, 614 students, 95% compliant. That means 29% of their students are not in compliance. Do the math here. 614 students enrolled, 95%. That means 29% or 29 students. Hmm. You have no idea on these 29 students of what their vaccination history is, even though by state law, you are now breaking state law district by not indicating either a waiver or that you have immunization or it's in process. So you have 29 students who are not in compliance. Okay. Columbus, 30 students. Ashland, 95 students not in compliance. Beloit. 389 students not in compliance. Madison, our state capital, 438 students not in compliance. Milwaukee, 6,429. Uh, so what does this mean? So what it means, right, if you're looking at this, is this is supposed to be 100% compliance. Um or really, really close to it. So all of a sudden you're like, oh, Madison, 400 students, Milwaukee, 6,000. But even, you know, Ashland, 90 students. You have no idea of what the history is for these students for immunizations. So, but what I'm saying is the law currently in my state here in Wisconsin says that's not an option for you. If you don't have that, you are out of compliance with the law, and you can have consequences with that. And uh, what is the law? It's in immunization law. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, it's state statute in my state here. I'll write it down. State statute... Um, 252, I feel like dragging it. 252.04. 252.04. Yeah, this is a state statute. So this is the thing of, uh, yeah, that students have to have their 
their DTAPs and their polio and their HEP and their MMR and their varicella and all of that stuff. It's the state law. So, but again, the thing is, if you don't have it, you have to have the waiver. So as a district, one, you can't just say, I'm not going to complete the report. Well, I guess you can if nobody follows up with you from our Department of Public Construction, which is shameful. And it hasn't been that way just now. It's been that way in the past too. Um, but so then you already have this on the books of like, this is the, the law. You have to follow district. And a number of districts are saying, uh, no. And then if, you know, they'll say like, okay, we're at 95% compliance. So, so you have then in Milwaukee, 6,000 students who attend school by law, who should not be allowed to attend school by law, by statute. 2250204, if they haven't had vaccines or a waiver, they shouldn't be in school. But you have them in school, don't you? Because you count them. Yeah, you do. You, you bring everybody in. So I'm just saying, right, you can't have it both ways. So that you have this, and now suddenly you're coming off and saying, oh, this test to stay. So... We have Milwaukee, who has 6,000 students. You have no idea what the vaccination status is for mumps, measles, rubella, varilla, right? You have no idea. No idea. Madison, small Ashland, northern part of the state, no idea. Now you're going to do this. You're going to lock it down and get into this new COVID-19 test to state. You're going to do this. This will work for you. When I say this, it's kind of what I'm looking at over here. You're going to do this. This will work for you, right? Even though like, or like the 32 districts that didn't submit anything, this will work for you. It won't. So that's phase validity, folks. That is me telling, telling I don't want, again, you know, I respect all of you. You're smart for being in here. You're smart people. I appreciate this discussion. You're smart folks. I learn much from all of you. And maybe I can be the, right, I, you support me to be the spokesperson, I think, for what you're thinking and your beliefs and and how you want integrity in the system. I, I guess that's what I'm trying to do is to, to try to be like your elected representative, right, from the chat here to come forward and to, to say this. And I have that platform somewhat because it's university and stuff I do at state level and say, it's ridiculous. Clean up your act state and you do not... You absolutely do not do this garbage game right here of saying, oh, 32 districts who didn't submit anything last year? That's okay. It was a rough, and this isn't just last year, folks. This isn't last year. This happens all the time. Oh, that's okay. It was a hard year. Um, so don't worry about it. Uh, we're not, there's no consequences. No, we're, uh, we're, are we going to call you back? I would find data sets and there'd be like zeros in there. I'd be like, oh, that's kind of weird. You went from like, you know, 70 to whatever to down to zero. It's like statistically, if you did that and quantitative stats, the odds of that are one in 35 million, but I guess it happens, right? So you look at this and it's like, no, no reports received. That's garbage. How does this... How do you, and then there's no, there's nothing on the website either. Like when you pull this data off of saying, you know, we are following up with these districts. We have these measures in place. There's nothing. There's no consequences, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, there's no consequences for not following the rules. There's no consequences. They're not going to be sued. 
Because if they're sued, what they're going to do is they're going to say, oh, responsible third party. The state, the DPI is involved in this and they should have notified us. We had so many things going on last year that, or the years prior, so many things going on with schools. DPI should have notified us that they didn't have the data that they needed and we would have complied with them. And well, and no one's going to take on the DPI. It's an immunity. It's a state protected agency. It's a high barrier for immunity. It's just not going to happen. People don't have $100,000 to spend to take on something where they're going to what, get declar declarative or injunctive relief, like a policy change is not going to happen. So you simply have people not complying, just as as right here. No report. Butternut, no report. Potosi, no report. Potosi also makes beer. <laughs> they have a really good brewery in their town. So, um, And then these other places where they're like, okay, you know, we're, we'll play along with you. We'll give you the data. But we also have, like, kids we have no idea, you know. And... Granted, that happens sometimes, but, you know, Madison, 400 kids, Milwaukee, 600. I mean, almost 100 kids in Ashland? Jeepers. Jeepers. What's the state doing on this? What is the state doing on this? They're not doing anything. They're useless. Oh, Dave, you just said they're useless and you're administering your... Yeah, I know. Could come back to bite me. I doubt it will because... <laughs> You know, right? Like, ah, what am I? What am I? What am I sharing here that's not true? I pull this off of all of your websites. I give the links to where the data comes from. What am I saying here that is not accurate? So again, this is stuff that was in existence prior to COVID. This has been around for years. I dealt with this as an administrator. It was a pain, but nurses did the system, put it together. Um, got the information into the Wisconsin Immunization Registry, the WIR. But this lacks fidelity. This lacks people checking up on it, saying, hey, by the way, 30, 32 districts, uh, could you get that into us? Like, can we call you? Like, call you next week? What's a good time we can talk? Um, they're just like, no, it's just it's a pass. It's just a pass. <laughs> you expect test to stay. You expect that you're going to, in real time, be testing students, you know, whatever test you're giving so they can stay. And then like one day versus, how about the NFL where the NFL comes out and publicly says, we have a number of people who have tested false positive. Do you think the NFL has test uh, access to higher quality tests than schools have? I damn well think so, right? A multi-billion dollar industry is going to have that. The NFL, the NFL comes out, you know, like, and then this week and all the crazy stuff, but, but also saying, yeah, this is a negative test. It, it, you know, so, and again, school don't have the personnel to do this and can go on and on and on. But this, in a trajectory of thing, if, if I, looking at this, I was saying at some point we're, they're going to get to this because the other stuff is just ridiculous to send these emails four times a day to parents and say, if your child feels stuffy tomorrow, keep them home. Maybe I'm tested. Um, and again, Kids get colds, kids get sick, kids get allergies. But um, but when you when you can't have fidelity in this system where kids are entering this K K five of of whatever, and you're and you're suddenly saying we're going to do test to stay, you're not going to do it. I'll tell you right out, flat out reality, you're not going to do it. As former minister, you're not going to do it. I teach administrators, not going to do it. They don't have the staff, not going to do it. They don't have this. Isn't going to work. There's no way in hell this is going to work. No way. 
this is going to work. So yeah, feel good. Find this podcast, bring up this slide, straighten out your house here before you even try this. This is a mess. 32 district, again, my state, maybe, maybe there's others. Maybe we're an anomaly. We're the one bad state. This is ridiculous. How did I hear about this? I hear about this because I look for it. No one's posting this stuff. Is anything going to happen? No. Am I right? I'm right on. And this is what I teach and this is what I preach. This is why when you buy my books, you know, the publisher makes a little pricey. I know that's not, nah, I don't have any control on that, but this is crazy stuff. So, but what does it mean for you as just listening or you as a parent or things like that? I mean, this, you, you can't, um, you have to get your house in order, right? Before you can add new initiatives or new practice. If you don't have this down, this as in this, if this is messed up to the uh, level that this is, again, the biggest thing right here is these 32 districts right up here. These 32 districts who just said, oh, hey, we're not reporting anything. Um, that report was due. Yeah, uh, no, we pass. Pass. Uh, I'm going to pass this. This is the report. Thank you for the opportunity to do it. But I'm going to pass it to the other district who might pass it or they might keep it. They might file it. In my day, you would have got your ass kicked for this as a district or as an administrator. Like, this is inexcusable. This is ridiculous. And you should have your ass kicked for this. But again, there's no consequence. There's no consequence from the state. So again, you have this, and now you have test to stay. So you're going to try to say, we're going to roll out this more complicated, sophisticated process. And by the way, we've completely fumbled <laughs> on a process we've done for 20 plus years. And a system, a database, Wisconsin Immunization uh, database, which has existed. And uh, yeah, we fumbled out of bounds on that. And we haven't kept that fidelity. And we're not following. It. Now we're going to have this more complicated system, by the way. Test to stay right here. So you're going to be hearing a lot about this. My thought on it is schools are going to say, nope, not worth it. We are out of here. And they're going to go remote. Let's go back to the chat. Uh, let's catch up here. Vanessa wrote, um, using whiteboards and chalkboards on videos in the learning, we need access to students to help answer this question. Yeah, I and I, I talked about that. Um, so one of the things with these mental, um, these mental health days, for example, for staff, remember we, we had a show on that and, and I said, that's, the thing is like, just to tell people stay home and that'll be a mental health day, unless there's an actual program with that or process. And usually a day doesn't change anything. That's just a day away. And then a person's like, ooh, like what I was supposed to instruct in five days, I only have four days to teach it now. So yeah, to 
and there's there are more people coming out with statements of saying what we need is more in school. We don't need more out of school. Ever learn in uh, subject through email? I have not. <laughs> so th there was a time back, I think in the 30s and 40s, when some courses were delivered by radio in Wisconsin. Um, when because students would go, they work on the farms like in fall and spring. Maybe it's even like I think it was more 30s. Can look that up. It was, it was kind of interesting. And PBS Wisconsin started to offer some like course stuff on their PBS stuff when everyone went virtual. The state shut down in spring of 2020. But it was so it was okay, but it wasn't coordinated. Like you'd have to say, like, watch this video, or it wasn't necessarily a curriculum, it's more enrichment stuff, but but yeah. But Vanessa makes a good point. Yeah, I mean. You've, you, there has to be a point uh, when you are accessing some of the stuff authentically. Yes, I tutor as well, says Finesse. In addition, learning is a different speed for everyone. Yeah. Finesse, you bring up a good point, right? Like, there are a lot of assumptions in this learning toggling that everyone is going to be keeping up at the same pace. Bacon wrote to Ting Ting, I wouldn't, but you don't want to be a mod. So I don't know what that was, but who's my mod in your bacon? Bacon is hopefully keeping uh, keeping things under track. Bacon knows like who the <laughs> who who to filter out. So thank you, buddy. Never ask for a mod. I don't need it. Thank you. So I'm willing to give you a mod, Ting Ting. If you want one, just let me know. I trust you. Um, Ek, ooh, this is awesome, Doc. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, ting Ting, dodge the wrench. So, all right. If I see some of you in here, like in repeated shows, I. I am my philosophy is I people that I can you know feel vested in I like to give a wrench out because then you can react nimbly to you know this is a a family show right I get you know kind of passionate during the show and but I mean this is isn't a show where um, it's not going to be not rated G right so um, but if people come in and start posting. You know things that are very inappropriate that I don't want in here because you know following the safety doc should be a I don't want to say a wholesome experience but there there should be a line of of etiquette which is maintained within the thread so I appreciate everyone doing the work if if you're having to do that um, so anyway blue wrenches thank you uh, she can dodge anything um, Bolo I I see not in compliance I think waive the right to sue. If a worst case scenario occurs, yeah. Vanessa, we could not enter school growing up until my mom brought our shot records to school every year. Six of us, yeah, and that's the way it was for me too. <laughs> and you know, so that's the way we think it is, right? If you asked, probably not anybody. We asked most people today, right? What are oh the kids have to have their vaccination records when they come to school? Stuff like not really. That's what the law says, but that's not what the reality says. And again, as a school administrator 20 years ago, my goodness, like my nurses would be saying they would be working double time to get that stuff in. And I mean, it was a big concern. Like your feet would be held to the fire if you didn't have that in. And now it's like, just like a lot of things, right? Nope. And I don't care. I mean, the state can come back and say, oh, that's not fair. It's not fair. 32, 8% of your districts didn't have that in. You don't have even a statement of saying we're gathering this data or whatever. That's not fair. I don't need to hear. And I hear stuff like that, by the way. 
I hear feedback from the state, the the officials. Oh, like you're you're a little abrasive on us during this episode, or whatever. I'm like, what what part of it wasn't accurate for one? Well, Dave, you don't understand that. I don't I don't understand the what having having expectations, having rigor, doing your job. What don't I understand? Tell me, because I guess I'm willing to be informed. It's not the way that I operate things, but. Yep. Oh, no, Dave, you don't understand. No, I do understand. You don't understand. You're not doing your job and no one's holding you accountable. So you can hold your help, self accountable. You can be one of those people. Or you can just go and say whatever. But yeah, you wouldn't uh, uh, believe sometimes the, yeah, the interactions I get from people at a state, the state level and on, on some of the stuff where the classes and things like that. I'm like, what? It, show me what I'm doing. Please, please show me. Oh, all the exemptions on students with disabilities from safety. Oh, please show me. Almighty person at your state office where you, if you feel upset in a meeting, you go get a cup of tea in the side room where there's no stress and you're in your comfy soft chair. Um, so you have a problem with me talking in class about uh, exempting students with disabilities. That's garbage practice and it's against ADA chapter seven addendum two and yeah, well, Dave, you're not really seeing the. Yeah, I don't care. You know, and when you when you actually tell people that, like, I don't, I'm right. Like legally, I'm right. Ethically, I'm right. And um, you have no power over me. I'm not your employer. You can, I guess, contact the university. I and we'll see where that goes. It didn't go anywhere. And, but these people, they're so weak, and I hate weakness. And. Uh, and they'll, they'll, you know, oh, but you don't, you don't understand. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Like, I have expectations. I can do my damn job. And I have expectations because when you have expectations, things are done. Things are better for people. You don't just do this laissez-faire crap. I'm so sick of that. And that's, I mean, you'll see it in my books. You'll be like, oh, my God, Doc's going to punch you in here. Well, you damn right Doc is. And I'm punchy because I'm punchy on the behalf of uh, bringing good things to students and to families and also to districts, you know, so you have districts that are doing things correctly and adhering to things. And then you have 32 districts who are saying, Oh, we didn't submit this. And the DPS like, Oh, it's all right. It was a rough year for you. So <sighs> blood pressure, doc, blood pressure. So, um, be uh, below. I see non compliance. I think we have the right to sue. So sorry, buddy. I got there. This is uh, uh, pathetic. Why in the hell would parents do a stab and a jam? Vanessa, oh, I ran the immunizations program at USAF. I'm not, by the way, like I'm not against, I'm not anti immunization, but I'm, I'm, I think my, my, my point was, um, I, I'm trying to get with that point of that slide where 32 districts just didn't submit anything. If you if you don't have if you have eight percent of your people just saying we're not complying, eight percent of your entity is not complying. Then why why even do it? Like, what is the consequence? I mean, it's like having speed limits up on the interstate and just everybody drives whatever they want. Drive whatever you want. Speed limit. It's merely a suggestion. If you want to drive it, that's great. If you don't, it's fine. It's basically, it's the same thing. And I don't know. It's not the way I am. It's not, I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to bow to anybody. Like I, I, these weak people, and I just hate weakness. These weak people 
again, you know, like the Department of Destruction. Instru- I said destruction, right? But instruction. Oh, Dave, like you know, you're not, you're not, you're not see, you don't understand the issue here of why you don't understand this. You don't understand oh, the exemptions. You don't understand why some district. I, okay, I'm willing to be enlightened. Tell me. And oh, you don't, you know, it's because of this and students. But well, we have laws, right? We have laws. Um, if there's a authentic fire, we would want all students to get out of a building, right? We would want that. That would be the goal. But every student would be provided instruction where they'd be participating in safety drills, fire drills, be able to get out of the building. It's not that easy. I said, you're lying. I worked at the School for the Blind for four years. We had two alarm fire. Everybody got out in record time. Everybody was safe. And that was a complicated situation. So you don't tell me from your office that this is impossible. You're giving, and you're you're turning your blind eye, school blind. You're turning a blind eye to, to these districts because they have powerful lawyers and rich districts and are writing exemptions. That's garbage. That's because you're a coward, and I'm willing to write a book, which you could never write in a million years. Maybe not because you don't have the talent to it. You don't have the gut. You don't have the fortitude for it. And the next book that I wrote. So while I'm out there doing the job that you should be doing, you should be thanking me, or at least be quiet. Right? So don't ask me to call, or don't call me, or don't, oh, hey, by the way, can we talk to you while we have our legal counsel online? I'm sure. Love to talk to them. You have no power over me. And because I make it uncomfortable for you that you might have to actually enforce these things, which are publicly on your website that I'm not making up, that I have all the links to, that's too bad because that's your job and that's why you're getting your salary and your state pension. And if your meeting gets a little uncomfortable, you can go to your room with the soft chair and the music and the tea because that's what you're allowed to do, right? Not the way I am. It's not the green of the dock. And as long as I can, I don't know, turn the heat up on you, turn the heat up to what, thaw? <laughs> so you can mobilize and do your job? I'm not out here to ruin anybody, right? But there's accountability. And these aren't small things. All right. Ting, 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 ting. Um, Shall not comply unless it means I will eat more dead animals to help the CO commissions. I could go for a entire bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken right now. Damn Milwaukee. (laughs) Yeah, 6,000. So, but the Milwaukee Bucks won a championship last year, Bacon. So come on. Ting, ting. This is the way. Gun websites, question, do they not report their tests because they don't want to test or they can't afford to test or they did test but just didn't report with political stands or funding or something else? Okay, this is a good question. There's a lot of parts of this. So did they not report their tests because they don't want to test? I think some of that's true, right? Um, if they test and they find out they have certain issues, but I don't know, schools typically don't test. 
they're not proactive in testing. That's not really the position schools are in, unless the counties would do that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, if, if you test and you find out you have issues, then you have to mitigate them. Can they not afford to test? That shouldn't be an issue for any district because they received significant bounty in money from the uh, pandemic relief a year ago. And some of them chose to build football fields, artificial turf. So too bad. Uh, they didn't test and didn't report it. So, or these political sense, probably political, mostly political. Um, and the fact is, on, this, on, on defense of the school districts, this is supposed to be a county handled thing, or if you're in Louisiana Parish, this is not supposed to be a district handled thing. Never was written up that way. And counties are saying, oh, lay, this has overwhelmed us, or, you know, they have turnover now. The county's the county getting people saying, how dare you, you know, shut down our school or let our school be open or whatever, or stuff. So schools are put in a bad place because the counties have faded on them. Boom, counties have disappeared. So, um, so school districts in, in, in one of my earlier shows, or at least a Lenny, if you want to check that one out, that's a great one of, so what is the school district to do when the county kind of does the Olay? Well, then they have to do, they're, they're on their own. Like in Wisconsin, 421 districts, they have to decide on their own how they're going to handle this. There's no guidance from the state. Like I said, the state's kind of vanished. <laughs> they're in their, their castle drinking their tea with their pinkies. You know, the feds, U.S. Department of Education never has made a big stand on anything. In school, in school of errors, in school safety, I talked about that. <laughs> you know, they, they'll give you a lot of recommendations. They'll give you zero laws. Uh, so, you know, so it is these districts who are trying to figure this out on their own. A lot of these districts are a thousand kids or less, where the superintendent is also the athletic director who, and also the special education director. I mean, there's not a lot of redundancy in these positions. So, they're doing the best they can. So what they do is they try to follow CDC guidance or local hospitals or something. And, and that's, and then, and then they get still get sued. I talked to, you know, Lisa Linnea, we talked about that and what my state, what does that look like? And so th these districts are put on islands. There's 421 islands, basically, even though we have one district literally is an island. So I know these folks, like I teach them, they are good folks. They're good hearted folks. They try to do the best, but it's like they're, they are now, like I said, the one superintendent who had the keys to the, the county system for contact tracing. I'm like, well, you're not supposed to have these. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm trying, he's trying, it's not him. It's a good person, but it's like they, they've defaulted the role on to you. So uh, it's a mess, but it all, it all comes. Here's, here's gun websites. Here's where, here it is. I wrote about it in school of Airs. on nine 11, the attacks on the twin towers, Admiral Loy of the coast guard sent out a message and he said, Hey, anybody out there with a boat, you can get down to battery park, come down here, rescue people. End of story. That's it. You can find it. The, uh, the video Boat lift um, right here. YouTube, I don't have a link for it. Somebody put a link in the chat. Here's a video. It's boat lift. It's 11 minutes long. It's narrated by Tommy. It's good. That'll teach you everything you need to know. I wrote about it in depth. I studied it with the folks in New York. I wrote about it in School of Airs. So you need leadership. You need someone to say, this is how we're going to do it. There's no leadership right now. No leadership at state level. No leadership at Department of Public Construction level. There wasn't before. Our governors now 
our <laughs> what was our department of destruction destruction instruction and it's freudian whatever but um there's no leadership and there's there you know there's local there's there's good superintendent but there's school boards who are being pulled in directions by their community and stuff like that and, and you know i give an example in school of errors and i said if you could you ever imagine your community coming out and saying, hey, we're going to hold a forum. We have to spend, uh, we have to buy a new fire engine. And the fire engine is like a $600,000 purchase, a big purchase in our budget. This is, and, you know, as a firefighter, so, but would you imagine a scenario where the, the fire department says, we're going to hold a community input session. Um, what do you think we should have for a fire truck? And so it's like, I, I think we should have like a colorful fire truck because, you know, um, it should, it should, it just should be, you know, or this red thing is, yeah, it's kind of intimidating to see come down. Okay. Uh, we don't want siren. Like, and this is actually happens. This actually happens. Some communities, um, the, their boards vote, I think it's like Detroit, right? They voted to not do sirens because like the neighbors said the sirens woke them up during the night. So they just, so they take fire trucks out of the sirens. It's crazy stuff, right? Safety. But, um, you know, but would you have people come in and try to develop this fire truck through committee? People have no idea what it what firefighting is other than, you know, a, a cursory knowledge. Just no, you have to have pump capacity, right? You have to know uh, how you interface with your other equipment. You have ladders uh, that how I mean, what are the current codes that you have to have for equipment? The, the chevrons painted on the. I mean, all of these things that come in. This is professional stuff. You don't have a community give input on what kind of pumper truck you should buy. That's ridiculous. But it's the same thing that the these agencies have kind of defaulted to. <laughs> and I, I get so sick of it. I get absolutely disgusted by it. Uh, and I'm at my age and, and where I'm at, I'm like, I'm just, I'm going to say what I say. And I'm not wrong. And defeat me with logic, by God, if you want to. I don't think you will. But if you want to, then you've just elevated everybody, I guess. <laughs> right? Um, so, I don't know. Oh. They are immunized pre-COVID. State statute. Hey, I, I wrote that. Milwaukee, the cutting edge of legal society. <laughs> since the, Jeffrey Dahmer was imprisoned in the community I live in about a mile away from my house. He was murdered there too at the jail. So there's a fact for you guys. Ting Ting, show me your Nancy papers. Good luck. Yeah. Um, Real ID Act was the beginning of carrying your papers every soon enough. Yeah, it's and it'll just go over to your phone. Like I got a new phone, um, I don't know, a month ago. After I had the stuff, my current, my existing phone, like up, transferred over, right? All stuff. Turn it on. First thing, do you want to activate the COVID? First thing, first thing comes on. Nope. Don't want to activate the app. Don't want to activate the contact tracing app, right? <laughs> no, thank you. But it pretty soon will just be hard, hardware. It'll, it'll be a firmware update. You won't even know it's there. Um, if you try to just dismantle it, right, it'll just shut the machine down. Those who give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty or safety. Yeah, you're right. Somebody said that. Um, ting ting. There's no, this. There's no harsh. Americans will be American. Commies can try. They will not achieve their commie agenda. I hope not. I know 
I hope not. Um, I don't know. Um, let's go over here. Uh, barely one nurse, Vanessa wrote at our schools, who's administering medical tests every day? Oh, volunteers. Yeah. It's a good point. So school nursing is completely, is understaffed. So Robin Kogan, I'm going to give that shout out here. She does a, um, she's the relentless nurse of uh, Camden, New Jersey. She's a website blog post. I don't know. I have a lot of respect for Robin. Um, and, but I mean, if I, if I, as an administrator, I always wanted more nursing services. And I thought nursing services were essential on many levels. One is we have more complex students in school, type one diabetes, medical needs that we didn't have before. Um, allergy reaction, reactions, uh, anaphylactic, severe anaphylactic reactions. And then um, your nurses, as far as having your students' um, wellness and being in school and, and connecting up with treatment being versus like students being out of school or if you could get a nurse practice. I mean, all these things. Like I'm a big proponent of nurses in school. I always had to fight that uphill battle. As superintendent, oh, no. But would he okay, like another counselor? Oh, yeah, because the principals wanted counselors and we have more counselors and we could shake a stick at. We needed nurses. And it was garbage that we didn't have them. So you're right on, Vanessa. Um, we need an investment in in nurses. We need to seriously do that as there are so many levels from mental health to community access to service to being able to, you know, nurse practitioner to being able to prescribe you know, some, some medications to, um, how do we train again for our, our high population of students with severe allergy, um, reactions and are increasing type one diabetics and so forth. You're right on, um, bacon wrote, I'll said, this is a good reference for the argument about schools requiring other vaccines. This of course assumes people <laughs> listen to the argument. Yeah. You know, bacon is a good thing. Like, I, you know, I've told people this, you know, my friends who are administrators and I actually, you know, I'm real honest with my students um, because, uh, you know, I, I said that I'm teaching the, this stuff is, it's different than it was two, three years ago. There was a lot of consistency from like the year 2000 to 2017 and then things started to change. And, uh, but yeah. You know, people have to listen to the arguments, and and again, people just just um, disengage. They just excuse themselves when it becomes uncomfortable or abrasive or whatever. And that's I've had so many people tell me or tell me through somebody else, like, "Oh, you're a really intimidating person," or "You're intimidating <laughs> in, in person, person or whatever," or all of this stuff. Or I'm like, I don't know. Like, I think I'm a good person. And like, I, I will never intentionally lead you wrong. Like what in, in uh, the movie Twister, the guy's like, I don't, he would never tell us, lead us into harm's way. I wouldn't, I'm not out to undercut anybody. I'm, I'm, um, but yeah, that is a, it's, it's strange. Cause I hear that more and more. And I think it's just because people are very adverse. They're not used to people being honest with them <laughs> and because they're so measured. And, oh, if I say this, I might you know, lose my position or people might be angry with me. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Solitude Surfer, you are so right, Doc. I'm behind in comments. I don't know what that refers to, but thank you, Solitude Surfer. Hell of a guy. Take, uh, take two surfboards out of petty cash. 
Ting Ting wrote uh, to Vanessa, okay, it's BS when a volunteer takes over a medical position because the doctor said no to, to Chapius. Right? <laughs> right on. There's no argument there. EK, I know what commies means, just trying to follow the message. It's no big deal, but Ting mentioned those who willingly give up their liberties for safety don't deserve it or safety. Thanks, EK. Uh, Vanestro, and all fully vaccinated are exempt from exposure testing. Hmm. Yeah, that and that is in the uh, in the school stuff. So, and again, like, what is the definition of fully vaccinated? Will it be if there's a booster? And like, I just, I'm looking at that saying, I, I just, I, there's very serious logical questions in that because, right? You could, we know that people are vaccinated. I mean, on the biggest stage, right? Maybe the NFL, we know, and are still testing positive. And if you're testing positive, you can share it with others who are either vaccinated or unvaccinated. So then wouldn't you want them to not be, I, I mean, it kind of, you look at this as a ministry and you're kind of like, there, you run out of options. So this option was always on the table. So at some point you got to put down that Uno card of saying test to stay. Now, when that Uno card is done, I don't know what the next Uno card is. So, and Uno used to be one of my favorite games until this came along. Um, so, uh, PBS got some courses over TV, but the interaction was basically lecture. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It was something. It wasn't everything. I mean, it, it was meant to be a short-term fix, a gap. And it turned into basically people saying, oh, here's your curriculum. <laughs> it's crazy. If you're willing to let, this is from Tink Tink, others let you tell you what to do and give up your liberties, then you're ready to sheep and deserve to be grouped in a fence and no longer want your freedom. So, I mean, Tink Tink, you bring up a, a point. Like, that's one of the reasons I do this show. And it's one of the reasons I write the type of books that I write. Um, because when you do those things, there are some people who, that's it. Like, they won't associate with you anymore. Like, I have people who I thought were, friends or good friends or good colleagues and they're like i can't associate with you anymore like because i just can't <laughs> i'm like okay it's your loss you're choosing to not be informed i am not personally hurt by <laughs> by this um but you are you are the one who is revealing your spots right you're choosing now and and people have people have done that and and there are some people who i wouldn't have thought have done that and i'm like ooh, it's it's interesting to me um but you know i'm I'm a little bit like the um, like the Joker in like the Dark Knight. I'm like, there's nothing you can do to harm me. Well, there are things, right? Like, you know, I've been attacked by major media and things like this. And that's all things I've had to deal with that I can't publicly speak about. But, um, but the reality is like, you know, when these state organizations or whatever and say, you know, I, I think you're being, you know, too narrow or whatever in your approach in your course. And I'm like, you're not even in my course. So somehow one of the students got this to you and whatever, but <laughs> okay. I know I'll listen. But then um, if the fact is what I'm doing, if I am telling you like, what is, if I'm pointing out what's right and then what I'm doing now makes you take action where you preferred inaction, that's your problem, not mine. If you think I feel bad about that, I don't. If you think you can persuade me, you can't. If you think I'm intimidating, good. You should feel that way. So Doc Tho's a good guy. Doc's not, <laughs> Doc's not, Doc is, is uh, you know, my, my battles there are with, with the truth and getting the truth out. Um, but no, 
Yeah. I had, I'll tell you guys a story. I had one person this this older than me and he contacted me after I had presented, you know, some, I think I presented a conference. And I also had some things in my class. And again, it was about exempting students with disabilities state from the state state position had been in schools and now he's in state position. And he, and he just said, I just, this is, I just don't agree with this, David. You know, I just, I, I don't, I mean, like in about a minute, like he said, I five times, I said, that's you. You're saying I, that's how you, you feel like, so, okay. That's how you feel. Um, and I'm not changing what I do. If you want to, you can go to the conferences that bring me in. You can go to the university that hires me, talk to them. I'm not changing it. How you feel by this has no impact on me. That's your issue to deal with, buddy. It is your issue. Uh, I need to bring in legal and okay, I'll, I don't, I'll, if I got the time, I guess I'll talk to them because I guess I want to know where you're coming from. <laughs> well, this is really, I said, no, it's a violation of ADA uh, chapter seven of Denim too. How's it not? Well, you know that, no, it's not. I said, I, I said, you know, what's clear to me and then calling out what's clear to me is by me doing this, by me saying this and putting it out there, I'm holding you accountable. And suddenly if something happens and this is foreseeable, this is a tort violation. You have a responsibility in this now, don't you? And if I'm putting this in email, if I'm putting this in documents and stuff like this, this creates a liability for you. This creates a problem for you, doesn't it? Are you going to take me on? Been on PBS twice, got two books, other things. Where, where do you want to go with this? Are you going to take on the truth? What are you going to, I have, I have all the documents that you put out there on your website. I have all the stuff out there. I have all the documents. So uh, you really want to, where do you want to, where do you want to go with it? Oh, yeah, we just, uh, we're just saying like, just uh, fine. We're done. And these weasels, these weak weasels, the older I get in life and ladies and gentlemen, you probably see it too, Robert. I do not tolerate weakness. You do or you do not. You try. You don't, not everybody, but you try. You just, not this old lake. We just don't turn in a report. Okay. State, what do you do about it for the 32 districts that don't turn it? Well, uh, not, it's a rough year for them. It's cold. You know, you don't realize what winter's like for some of these districts. I mean, I, it wasn't just last year's other years. So, like I said, I will never lead you in the wrong path. I will never do that. That's what, and that's why the students, that's why my classes fill up. I have people who take my classes and say, I just wanted to meet you. Like, this is such an honor to meet you. Your reputation, your, you know, the books, the stuff you've done at state level, the stuff you've done on in, in, um, institutional review board, policy for school districts and safety. I just wanted to meet you. This is an honor for me to be in your class. Which is really cool. It's really cool. It's really astounding. And then again, it's like, and it's so hard. It's, it's it's a blue pill, red pill thing. Usually the first few classes, as I said, let's take a look at the organizations that you are subscribed to personally and how they are serving you. And everything is like, oh, they're all great. They provide this and this and this. Do they really? Do they provide you this? Are they answering this legal question for you? Are they answering this legal question for you? Have they come out with a position statement on this? 
And they're like, no, we don't have that. We don't have that. Well, why not? They're serving you. You're paying them a large fee. They are giving you a smorgasbord, which they have had together since 1972. Ladies and gentlemen, and you are still walking through that same smorgasbord. The menu's changed, and you're the one who's changed it. Tell them what you need, and tell them if they don't provide it, you will take your dollars elsewhere. Oh, that shakes things up. Ting Ting, if you're willing, to, I'm sorry, I think I read this one, but thanks, Ting Ting. Robert, I'm still here just cleaning, arranging my P wall. Right, Robert. By the way, I love Mobile One synthetic steroid oil. I just have to say that. I'm a big fan. Um, respect. Yeah. I think that's one thing. I don't, I don't try, you know, I never try to credential stack against people. I think that's very distasteful. I, I don't think it's classy. When you look at the bottom of my books, for example, right here, it does not say PhD. There's a reason for that, right? I, I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to credential bludgeon people. I'm not trying to, um, to bring out this golden ladder, <laughs> right? Um, I only bring it out when people kind of force me to bring that stuff out. And I had to do it like, um, I don't know, like a month ago with, with oh, it was the Oxford, Michigan shooting, school shooting, which was horrible, right? But so, someone was going on some completely inaccurate um, statements about how threat assessments are conducted in schools. And I just needed to, I, there was a point where I'm like, dude, like you're just, these aren't accurate. Like this isn't how this works and how this, how the school district, I knew like their system because they had it on the web, their website, national school psychology system. I, I wasn't, it wasn't a correct or an incorrect. I'm just saying what you're describing is not the process. And then, well, how do you know? I'm like, well, <laughs> cause I know like, Safe to that. Plus, like I'm an expert witness, and to be an expert witness, you have to pass this thing called a Daubert challenge, which is very rigorous in courts, where they, you know, they they then identify you as an expert witness, and you can't be challenged after that once you get that status. But I, I very rarely do that. Like it's it's kind of a funny thing. I have my two file cabinets over here, and when I graduated from UW Madison with my PhD, I did a very difficult dissertation, by the way, but. <laughs> because I wanted to, I wanted to challenge myself. I knew it was going to be difficult. That's why I took it on like that certain PhD, but um, my PhD arrived in a, a manila envelope, which I never opened. I know it's in there. I think I didn't feel it in there, but I never opened it. It's not on a wall behind me. And, um, and there's a symbolic reason I didn't do that because I am, I am, and you, as you, I mean, I put PhD after my name, right. But I'm, I'm not about, um, uh, identifying myself by credentialism. I, uh, that is, that's not what I'm about. I am, I learned a lot with that. That's not what I'm about. I want you to know me as I'm the guy who wrote the, I'm the guy who does the podcast. Uh, you know, I'm the guy who worked with these districts and, and things like that, but I'm not because I have this credential. I don't know. I, but yet, yeah, it, it, it as, as Robert said, it is a respect thing. And I, I've got to that. I've got to that level in my career and in my life where there is this respect thing, which is earned through the, the work I've done, 
and right when you go on PBS twice, I mean, not everybody gets invited on PBS, right? I mean, that's <laughs> pretty rare. And to get the invite back to PBS was a big thing. And that was like a six month production to get that ready to go. And, uh, you know, writing a book under a publisher, it's a, you have to be offered a contract. You have to do a proposal. And at any time, you know, you submit it, they say, no, this is not our thing. So, I mean, like, that's a high barrier to get into a tier two threshold publisher, you know, to teach 700 level, 800 level legal classes at a university over time to work up to that level. The, the absolute top classes they teach to testify uh, before legislative bodies to be brought in and to testify on the impact of relaxing codes for door doors, you know, for safety and stuff like that. I mean, these are all things that come with respect. And so, yeah, but there is this point, and ladies and gentlemen, I want, you know, all of you feel this too. When you have people around you who are not respecting the their their duties, right? Especially maybe uh, if it's local government or if it's school board or if it's school officials or if it's government officials, they have to respect the duty. You've got to do your job. You know, like Governor Newsom, right? California co-writes a children's book. So what does he do two weeks ago or a week ago? He leaves for a week and he goes and does a book tour. What is that? That's an escape. If my my book released and I had something, you know, I'm a governor or something big is going down school-wise or I need to be there, then the book is secondary and third dairy and fourth dairy and fifth dairy. I'm doing my job. I'm not escaping. So I have no time for people to do that. Vanessa, I found your show at the exact right moment in time and needed so many teachers in the verge of retirement. So, yeah. Thanks, Vanessa. Um, Shelter Paradise, accountability is a very scary word in the workplace. Yeah. And I, you know, accountability, people that people resent it, <laughs> my accountability mindset. So, not surprised. Doc hurts their feelings. Yeah. You know, it is interesting to bacon because, you know, again, when someone is older than you, I'm not young, but I mean, and and I think they're used to just getting their way, right? They're used to just getting you to play along in it. And then when you're not willing to do that, it's this weird, it's a weird thing when you're seeing, you know, face, you know, face to face with somebody who is older than you and is kind of worked up through things and is in this position. I'm like, no, you're wrong. You, you're doing this because I'm making your job harder. I'm making, I'm bringing accountability to what you're doing. And you don't want that. That's why you have me here. And basically what you're trying to say is Dave, just come on, play ball because maybe in five years you'll be where I'm at. Why not? And that's not what I, that's not the doc, buddy. So ultimately the doc's about safe systems and making, helping people safe and accountability and, and moving things forward and, and contributing and the ethics of things. That's not what you're, what you're telling me by no. You know, it's not go along to get along. I don't have to. I don't have to play that game. And uh, you got to deal with it. You got to deal with the uncomfortable book of book as school of school bears, like the district that changed their front entrance because they had a picture of their entrance in my book. <laughs> they didn't want it to match the book anymore. You got to deal with that uncomfortable. Then you do. That's on you. Um. So if you think I go like Dr. you think I, I you think I drive out of here and I go home and I feel bad about this? I don't. Uh, and that's, the I mean, you don't, you don't feel bad that I'm, I'm upset that now I might have to actually go in and 
follow up with these districts and do it on, you know, I'm like, get a grip, man. You've lived here in a, in a pillowed palace for too long. I don't know what you were before you got here, but you're not much now. Sorry to tell you, but kind of asked for it. I fear the new batch of teachers will be the most mindless indoctrinated zombies. So, um, from SAS, I don't, there's a lot of good people out there. It's just, these, there's a lot of bad systems is I guess what I would say. Um, yeah, there's a, a, just a, if you, you know, this is the bottom line, right? If I, if I can't walk into a school and, and have four students and, and talk to a teacher and say, what's, you know, mid-year, what's the reading level for these four students? You know, and, and your teacher's like, I don't know. Then there's a problem. <laughs> like, flat out, right? Like, uh, so, Vanessa wrote, not, not from the schools that train teachers I'm involved with. The actions in the past two years and the law requirements for holding licensure have all coalesced to this point in time. So, you know, I, so in my state, to become a teacher, the the licensure stuff has, has really thinned down. Uh, and I'll say, like, that's, you can say it's good, you can say it's bad, or it's good. I have two friends who did not go the route of education who are now teachers, and they're exceptional. And they wouldn't have been here without this. Um, so... Seth is saying, breathe, Doc, breathe. <laughs> I am uh, I am worked up about this, and I'm okay. Yeah, I'm chill. You know, like, Doc's cool. Like, I'm not. But Sast is like, so, no, there's no need to send medical intervention. I'm good. I'm just, I, and this is where people be like, you're intimidating. There's the funniest thing, but, like, part of it is, though, I'm like, in, I think the intimidating thing is, like, because it's the truth. And because I'm not going to back down on it, you have no power over me, right? And the fact is, when I do this stuff, and parents will find this, they'll find it, and they'll be like, hey, like, our district didn't turn any immunization stuff last year. So they might ask the district, and they just like, I don't know, like, really? Like, like it just creates uncomfort, uncomfortable situations for people who should have been doing their jobs. So, right? For people who should have been doing their jobs. Um. So, oh, I'm a fun, I'm a fun professor. Honestly, my students, we have a great time. My students even brought in a birthday cake for my birthday, which was a day my, I had class a day before my birthday this fall. And, uh, and yeah, no, 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 they, right. Like, and like I said, you know, my classes, you know, fill up and, and uh, people not to like, yeah, it's doc, whatever, but I, a lot of, Students will will say this is to meet you like is a great thing and to to be in your I mean I'm kind of like how I am now in classes where it's really dynamic I do, I do write all my own case studies you know that we go through and all these things and and it's and and as I tell people I said when you I want you to leave here so you can take on the world and and they'll, and also be like anything happens where you just it's a curveball you you got to run it by somebody give me a call. Like we'll just talk about, it. and like I had two calls this fall from former administrators who are superintendents. Two things that happened in schools, and uh, just said, "I think I'm handling this," but you know, um, it was really weird. 
obscure type of stuff. And I'm like, okay, like let's step through. Thanks for the call. Let me take some notes here and spend a little bit. And yeah, I'm glad to. I'm not on the clock here. I'm not building out for this. This is part of like my, our respect. It's a mutual respect for the profession. And in both of those cases, I mean, it was the right thing to do. And I'm like, you're not going to get this from your state organizations or this fluffy fluff, this other crap. God, like I said, <laughs> how many times have I ever got a tattoo? It's like, I do not like weak people. I do not like weak mindset. So weak mindset is what it is. I do. I, I, I shouldn't say I don't like, I just despise it. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> I hate it and I can detect it and I just hate it. Robert. Ah, dun, dun, dun. Thanks, Robert. I agree. Do the job, not some half-baked <laughs> Right. I mean, and some jobs are impossible and some things aren't going to work out, but just do the job. Like, that is not acceptable to have 32 districts not report out of 421 their stuff in and not even to have something on there of saying, we are in the process of working with these districts to obtain the stuff. Nothing in there. It's just like, it's not it's just not acceptable. And when did it become acceptable? I mean, maybe like three years ago. And I'll say, I mean, I objectively believe that in 20 years of university teaching and minister, I think I would say right around 2017. <laughs> well, I can I can narrow it in really tight that things changed. And people just started to to do this of really weird. We're going to play by our own rules. We're going to exempt people. We don't want to get people worked up about things. And that's about when it happened. Um, don't hate weakness. Don't hate the meek. Hate their subjugation. Hate their oppressor. So yeah, when I say weak and thanks BV Luminous, I don't mean people. I mean, I, I, I mean, people who aren't, who are, are making a decision to choose not to do their job or to, to do the ethical decision to discretion right um that's what i'm saying and like um ricky berwick i don't know if you see him on youtube or anything but ricky has disabilities and i he's one of my favorite youtubers but i mean to me like ricky is just an amazing comedian he's, he's brilliant i love his stuff and um but I, someone did an interview like in a, a canadian community of uh or a community group of uh, people with disabilities, and there, this person was saying, "Oh, Ricky, we feel sorry for him because he has to like use his disability to get attention and stuff like that." I'm like, "You're missing the point. Like, Ricky's really talented. Like, if Ricky, Ricky could be probably on any TV show. Ricky's just he's got it. Like, he, that's a gift for him. Like, I think Ricky would be funny no matter what. But this is Ricky. Ricky's Ricky's funny. You know, he he's a Saturday Night Live type of." guy he's he's got it like this isn't he's not having to parody himself and all i mean he is this he just generally has it and that so um people despise those who are vulnerable yeah that's another thing yep uh, vanessa i understand your point on immunizations i had a distinction of hunting down all personnel to get their shots yep and you know that's so Part of it is, if this is impossible for schools to do, it, it was very difficult when I was an administrator. Nurses, you know, had all these trainings to do at the start of the year for students with, you have to administer a diastat if there's a seizure or type 1 diabetic or you know, EpiPens, stuff like this. 
So I don't have enough time to do this. Then it really becomes a state issue. The state needs to jump into that or get the county nurses involved or something like that. But um, for the state right now to have this data out there from a year ago and 32 out of 421 districts have nothing is inexcusable. It's completely inexcusable. Then why have anybody comply with anything? Shelter in place doc is on to something here. Expectations are not met historically, but we are meant to exceed those unmet expectations because of a different flavor of illness. Yeah. Well, shelter in paradise. Thanks for posting that. That's a really, <laughs> I mean, you're right on. Um, yeah. Expectations are not met historically. Right. <laughs> and if we, if we go throughout history, we would find that. And but we are meant to exceed those unmet expectations because of a different flavor. Yeah, um, I think it was really important when I thought about the show today to because I remember this the the whole thing with immunizations, just what a thorn in the side that was five you know ten years ago to go in and pull data and look at this. And I, I didn't expect today, honest, I did not expect. 32 districts to not have their data in. Um, I was floored by that. And that was, I mean, again, like you, there, there were consequences for this 15 years ago. I mean, it, and just ethically, I mean, like people wouldn't, uh, I just, it's, and the department, I mean, the Department of Instruction would come down on you. I mean, they, they were not your friend. Um, but now it's become this whole, oh, don't bother the districts. They've got things going on. And uh, it became a marshmallow. So I would never succeed there. <laughs> I don't know what success would be in that setting, but I would never fit in in that setting. Um, uh Doc showed up. <laughs> oh my God, bacon. So that's that's funny. So um yeah. Uh probably one of my one of my big I have it recorded was my uh, testimony against uh, a bill that would have had uh, would have would have weakened the right the billing codes for locks on school doors, interior doors and so forth. And uh, again, you know, I, I, and it's funny because people, you know, people will recognize, we don't want them at a conference or we don't, you know, they don't want to hear this stuff because they, they're paying their vendor $20,000, their bollard vendor to have an eight foot table outside the door of the conference. So when you come out of the conference, right, you're right there. And a fake bollard made a styrofoam. Um, and you know, and, and these weird psychological things that people try to try to do, right? Like the, you know, like try to, to change, to change my position on things. Well, I know again, and, and you realize why they try to change your position. And again, there's a lot of people on, I don't know, my side, the side of right, <laughs> the side of logic, the side of like, do your job. But, um, when, when you realize like, why are you not, why are you, um, why am I getting this resistance from you or this interference from you? And it's usually because what I'm doing is going to require you to be accountable or do work or be innovative or something <laughs> like the fact that I'm being me requires you then to do something that is in your job description that, you know, 
up until now, no one was aware of it and it was all great. So I don't know. I don't know. Someone once asked me, do you like being the bad guy? I don't know. I'm not a bad guy, but do I like being the accountable guy? You're damn right. So you want to look at it's So it's, I just think it's so funny because, um, it comes up more than it does now. It comes up more now than it does before, but you know, you're intimidating. You're an intimidating person. Um, you know, when people, uh, people said like, I'm very nervous to meet you. Um, I've had, you know, multiple meetings with people and they'll be like, I'm very nervous to meet you. Um, <laughs> and, or, or, you know, be in this room or whatever. And stuff. I'm like, it's, I don't know. I mean, but I think what you're nervous of, right. Is like either one, you're in the presence of accountability. I'm not, I'm not swearing at anybody. I'm not, you know, I'm not very, you know, put together, right. Thoughtful, but it is kind of a Glen Gary moment for some people. And they've never encountered that. That's the thing. I might be the only person who has been true to them in the last five years. And I think that's what happens is then it sticks out. It's like, Oh, and I think that that's the thing where I think there were just, when I started 20 years, you know, 20 plus years ago, there were more truth talkers at different parts of their career that you would interface. I don't think those people are out there anymore. So, Oh dear. Uh, now we're going to become world word Nancy's because we misspelled the word. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there, but I, I misspell. I don't type very well. So, um, Uh, Vanessa, Common Core was created to be a set of expectations, assumptions of what a student will have completed each level. So, yep. And then we get into these whole things, right? Well, schools, like, does it doesn't make sense to do, like, grade levels, or should we just move students on to mod modules where they can kind of progress at their own? So, uh, he chose that followed finally. So, uh, Sass, I support the safety doc 100%. Thanks, Sass. And I know if things go bad for the safety doc here, if a mob comes and finds me, Sass will arrive at 148 miles an hour uh, with a full tank of gas and get me out of here. Zoom! And I'll be able to catch up with the Isuzu. So, you know, the it's not strange, but I'll tell you, when I teach university courses and the cameras aren't rolling right, the students will say, I am so glad I had this class with you. Or they'll send like an email and it doesn't come from their school account. It comes from their personal account and says, thank you so much for being real with me and showing me the two the sides to this, the panoply of this. And I'm not telling them run out at you. Like, don't do this job. I'm saying you can do this job so much better and understand how these other organizations are supposed to interface with you as gears. You're just spinning on your own. But that's not the way that this is designed. The county is supposed to be doing this. The community health needs assessment is supposed to be doing this. Your organizations, your paying are supposed to be doing this. And the fact is no one has held them accountable. And, uh, yeah, so, Sastro, nobody does their job anymore. It's all popular. To yeah, I'll tell you what. I and one of, one of the – so in the show I did last week, I had 30-second – audio clip of a phone message left to me by my boss, who was an awesome guy. I had two great bosses in my career. He was one of them. And that, so I put that message, which I just happened to find. I saved it for some reason, just because it was a great message. I don't know. I just recorded saved it. But um, but I had other bosses and I, I had uh, I had I had one administrative team where we'd show up Monday mornings and it was a popularity contest. 
it would be who's got the nicest clothes, who's got the newest car, who went to New York over the weekend with their kids to listen to a play, whatever. And I'd be like, um, <laughs> all right. And all these subtle, not subtle, but all these like these these decorative things were around. Like they were all there. They were all part of the meeting. These people kind of like just trying to measure against each other. And I'm like, then you could go right down the line. Divorced, divorced, three times divorced, failed this, in debt, over. <laughs> I mean, these people were wrecks. And, you know, they were just wrecks, wrecks of, of people. And instead of like doing anything to improve their happiness or themselves, it was just this show. I don't know. It is weird. <laughs> I look back at it now and I'm like, I can see how weird it was at the time. You know, when you're immersed in it, you're not kind of sensing it as much. You could sense it, but I'm, I was just, um, but now I'll tell you one of the things I did is in that particular saying and things are so wacky with that group is I per one of my a good trusted colleague a member check of mine said Dave you're starting to lose your objective nature on this and said I think you should go to like a work counselor and just tell them what's happening and uh and anyway so I I did I went to a work a work counselor um so the the purpose is to like deal with job stress and stuff like that or whatever. And so I just said, and that's kind of not my thing, but I was like, all right. So I'm, I'm talking and I'm going through like, this is the stuff I'm dealing with. The guy's like, that's crazy. <laughs> that's nuts. And he's like, I, uh, the, you're not the only one that says, and I, but it was kind of like, I, cause I'm like, I did, I'm trying to, to deal with people who are very dysfunctional in their own lives, even though they make a lot of money and they have authority and stuff like that. There's people and they're not happy and they're all like backbiting and stuff like that. How do you survive in this? And, and, and so like, you just kind of, you, you, you learn some strategies and when you're, when you're higher up the ladder, it's a little easier to do that. But, um, but ultimately it just had an exit from the, the setting, right? Sex setting was, Toxic. Uh, you just couldn't. It just it was just destroy it like radiation. I mean, how long can you work at you know fixing Chernobyl? I mean, there's only a certain point. And but but it took a while to get out to really look back and be like, holy smokes, was that messed up? <laughs> and and then also, you know, when you compare jobs to jobs, right? And I'll tell you, like I'm I'm and the reason I did that show on you know. 12 things or 10 things about working at the school for blind. I'd love that job. And I'd love, you know, the, the, the boss I had was so professional, just such a good person. And, uh, and to have that opportunity after a situation, you know, that was very dysfunctional, you know, as you go through different jobs and stuff, but to compare, you'd be like, well, this is dysfunctional. This wasn't, so, you know, you're not crazy. Like, and if you're, if every situation you're in is dysfunctional and maybe you're, the denominator in that, but no, no. Um, so, Hey, thanks. I think it said that. Um, yes. Finesse commending a doc. You are giving me the resources to help change here. Well, thanks Vanessa. I don't know what that is, but stays. I, I, I really believe people listen to, um, people who are in, um, strong in their convictions. I, I think those are leaders. I think people who say I observe versus they said, 
Um, also people that make decisions and just say, this is what we're doing. And, and the, you know, like there's so many, there's so much fence setting. Well, maybe this, or maybe we don't know. So this is what we're doing. And then you also, re, once people are like, okay, well, that's what we're doing. Then they go ahead and do it. So God, that takes the ability to be a violent in response. He isn't there with ARs and private military. No, I'm not. No, it's not me. No, and I'm not trying to, um, obviously do that. I haven't been in the military and no, no, no. Um, Bolo, I heard there is a cure for global warming, nuclear winter. Yeah, didn't think about that, right? By the way, why the hell aren't we building more nuclear power plants? I mean, the technology's there, low-cost energy. Come on. Um, that's kind of weird. So, thorium reactors in every town is a solution to global warming. Yeah, I mean, no, really? Right. That is, it's, there's, it seems pretty logical at this point. Um, just It's just crazy. Uh, BV Luminous wrote, I choose to only respond in kind. I don't seek to initiate a damn thing besides liberty. Yeah. Gotcha. Bacon, Ting Ting, I was just to say I was going to sit back and watch. You don't have to go, oh, no, Ting Ting, please don't. Uh, I, hope, I don't want anyone to be upset here. 50 solar panels in use here. Whoa. Wow. Um, Sass one too many wrote, mining for solar and lithium disposal destroys the environment. Like all, all this um, um, move toward electric stuff is at this rapid pace. That's one of the reasons I bought the vehicle I did <laughs> right now, like our SUV, because I'm like, I don't think that thing's going to be, I don't think we'll be able to buy it in five years. You know, we tend to keep, we kept the vehicle 14 years, which then we got this one um, because this mat, this push. And then I've got friends out in California. I was talking to a day ago and they're like, yeah, you know, like the banning of, of the engines, right? The, the generators is a big concern for them because of rolling power outages and stuff like that. And yeah, now they won't be able to get these generators or I mean, I think there's even things in can conditions that you can't retrofit or you can't maintain them if you have them. I don't know, but York city, you can't have new natural gas hookups. Um, Spokane, Washington, Spokane, Washington. There were like a number of cities. Now, if you build a new house, it can't be natural gas. <laughs> what the hell? Right. Um, I don't, I like, I eat my house with wood in a city and I'm outside of liberal Dane County. And I'm like, there'll be a point in time, maybe I won't be here anymore, but there'll be someone who's going to say, you can't do that anymore because it pollutes the environment or there's particulate in your neighbors. Look, I mean, there'll be some way they'll shut you down. So I don't know. Uh, boat lift. Holy smokes. I gotta, I gotta catch up here. Um, EK, my, my name means Liberty in Greek. Don't talk to me about Liberty. You can, Completely project it, what I said and where I was coming from and continue to play dirty. I don't please. I hope that's not toward me. <laughs> I'm sorry if it is. Uh, by the way, when I go into my analytics, it says I've never had a, a female watch a show. <laughs> so I was 100% men. <laughs> I'm like, that can't be true. Come on, just the odds at this point. Um, so Sastro, here on Docstreams, we all keep a civil discord and we... Don't gang up on the new people with caution flags. So, yeah. So, 
I appreciate it. And I don't, and as you see, like, I'm not doing that with anybody over in the chat. And yeah, uh, this is, you know, these are meant to be um, debate. This is, this is meant to, to engage and maybe, you know, to have uncomfortable areas that we visit in this stuff, but it's not to be attacking, right? So I appreciate, you know, where you guys are going. I don't own anyone explanation. This is not the place. I okay. I'm sorry. I I guess I'm I'm not apprised of what's been happening here. So, um, but Atham says French toast. Um, okay, Vanessa. But many districts no longer provide supplies or equipment to teachers. Paper, pencils, and math is important. Not every student has a computer printer. So as we see these these districts, let's talk about this. these districts who. Right. So this is a good face validity point, Vanessa. So if a district isn't providing pencils, papers, things like that to teachers and teachers have to go on the websites, what, you know, the GoFundMe type sites for the classrooms, and you expect the districts then to pull off this contact tracing hat trick, <laughs> right? Of We're going to do all this test to stay stuff. And by the way, we also have our second grade teacher who has a, a web page to donate so she can get an iPad that she can share with students. I mean, it's a good face validity check. Um, so Bacon wrote, uh, I don't know if that's what you're, okay. Uh, I guess I'll let you guys kind of, the moderators uh, work that out. So um, Gormonger too, glad to catch the live show again. Thanks Gormonger, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you know, you helping everybody here helping the show. It's up to 30 likes. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Um, uh, I, I appreciate that the, uh, the show has got a thousand subscribers. Um, what the show needs <laughs> is more views. So if you can, if you look through the shows that I've done, they're all on safetyphd.com and go in and say, you know, Hey, like there are, um, you know, shows I, I want to watch, you know, some interviews Doc did or, you know, some topics or things like that. Go in and do it. I appreciate that. Um, once I can get up to monetize, you know, I'm going to monetize the channel. What I'm going to do too, when a channel eventually gets monetized, I am going to use um, proceeds from that to buy my books and to uh, gift them to libraries that otherwise wouldn't receive them all across the country. Um, so that, that is my, that is my plan is, uh, and I've, I've done some of that on my own already is I've, 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 but I, that is my, that is my purpose and my intent. Um, ting ting roll, give me a slice of pepper, Canadian bacon and sausage waffle. God, I could go for that right now. Ah. Children's Paradise Road. Doc knows how to play a political game in the office. So, yeah, I do. I didn't always, <laughs> but I do. I do now. And now that like I work for myself, right? So it doesn't it doesn't matter as well. But I can I can help others and I can advise and just my you know friends and member chat network and things like that and and stuff. But um, uh, but yeah, never you know never compromise. And this is really true. Never compromise your principles. And you will be surprised when times get tough who sticks with you and who sticks 
who doesn't stick with you. And that's really an interesting uh, experiment. Maybe not a not something you want to go through a lot, but um, it's an interesting experiment. So, you know, the people who would walk with you through coals, you know, versus the people <laughs> who would be like, oh, Doc wrote a book and it's taking on the, you know, whatever stuff here with school safety and some of the wicked vendors and ah, uh, sorry, can't be your friend anymore. Okay. Not losing sleep at night about it, not anything like that. But, you know, it's it's more revealing of you, right? I think than it is of me. Uh, but on uh, websites wrote, I've hunt, killed, chopped down, sawed, and then burned all kinds of trees. No syrup ever fell out of one. Therefore, I ever feel like syrup is fake. So it's funny the, uh, around where I'm at, uh, you can get a permit from the city to tap maple trees and fall. <laughs> you can only do so many because we have like parkland in back of us. And then uh, so the people go back and they get, I, I don't know exactly how it works, but you'll see like five buckets and they tap the trees and I get the maple syrup. It's real big around where I, I'm at, like really big. Like maple syrup is just a, everybody's doing, uh, boiling the stuff down and gathering it. So, which also makes it like very cheap. Um, like people, farms and stuff like that around it sell it. So, um, uh, oh, the politics of school in ADA, Americans with Disabilities, uh, Shelly Rogers. Yes. Yeah. No kidding. ADA and IDEA and how they, how they interface. Um, <laughs> it's really weird too. So Shelly's talking about ADA Americans with Disabilities Act. There's also another part of uh, serving students with disabilities and individuals with Disability Education Act. Um, and th those are significant um, pieces of legislation regarding services for students with disabilities. I was a special education director and I loved that job. Um, and, but you also get these weird things happening, like the Indi Individuals with Disability Education Act. So when schools went remote last year, they shut down school and then students with disabilities weren't getting services or they were supposed to get. Then some districts would be like, well, it's just kind of too bad. <laughs> and then there's this thing called compensatory education. You're supposed to provide those services or make up for them. And, and there was no guidance ever that came out from the feds or states. I, I had a, I put together a guidance document. It's a five page long. I think I did it myself and gave it to students. And then I gave it to, I said, distribute this wherever you, I was based on law, legal cases. I'm like, it's the best thing out there. I mean, let me take care of this, but um, that needs to be your author. It's old legislation. It's, it's old stuff. It's not like, you know, um, BV Luminous, gun websites in the fall months, you drive a spike into the base of maple tree, let the sap drink go. Yeah, there's drip out. Yep. Yeah. Like I said, right back me. <laughs> People get the permits and they, they're tapping the trees and stuff like that. So it's real, really very common. It was very common where I grew up too. Like a friend of mine, like would he'd always invite me when they boil the stuff down, which seemed like it was boring, took forever. Wasn't that exciting until it gets to like the final stuff. It's really not that great. <laughs> He, they would make handy out of it, which was okay. So um, it's a very long process. If you're into it, like it's it's really, if it's your jam, like your your, your gig, it's a cool thing. Um, uh, whoa. I think it drips, doesn't, like the stuff I've seen is just kind of, it depends upon the temperature outside. If it's warm, then there's a lot of maple, there's a lot of syrup coming out, but, 
Um, I think I've seen the process of a kid on a tour of Scouts or something. Yeah. So, wow. You guys got to visit Wisconsin more. It's, it's, I mean, this is all over the place. Um, peer reviews, losing your mind with a dis dissertation. So, yeah, Shelly. So, yeah. So, like, my book is peer – both books are peer-reviewed. Um, my my well, my dissertation obviously was peer reviewed, but my books are peer reviewed. Uh, so yeah, why did my just sometime I'll do a show just on my dissertation. That's an interesting uh, story because I did not pass my dissertation. I was it actually was shut down like ten minutes, and <laughs> everybody walked out. They're like, "We're done," and uh, and I invited my you could you could bring one person with you. And I invited my my friend, who's our priest in our parish. So, you know, we show up and and uh, I'm I'm thinking, got a priest here. It's got to go well. And then, of course, they other people who are going to go through their dissertation defense show up. So there's a handful of people who are there who are like going to defend in the next month or something. Yeah, and I just I just got hammered. Part of it was was deserved. My paper, my research was rock solid. That wasn't the issue. Um, part of it was deserved. And I think part of it was um, a little bit, I just presented on PBS and a little bit of like, again, you know, we talk about this thing of like, there are people who, <laughs> who don't like you because of things you've done, which are scholarly or academic where they feel like, it takes away from them. You know what I'm talking? It's people who like, you've done nothing to them. Like I, I, I shared this story. Like I wrote a, uh, I frequently wrote journal articles for Capin and things like that. And, and, and um, I had a, a boss who said, if you have time to write articles like this, you know, you have time to do other things. I don't want you to anything. I'm like, I wrote these on a weekend or something like that. It's just something I do for, I don't get paid for this. It's like, it's a scholarly thing. It reflects well upon the workplace here that, the stuff is, you know, but, um, but it was really because they weren't doing it. I'm like, well, you could do this. I'm like, you know, uh, it's so, but I've learned that when people do that stuff, you just got to pause and get be like, what's your problem? I mean, this is you. Like I have, you know, like my friend, Aaron Clary, right? So Aaron, um, when he built his house in South Dakota, which is beautiful and well, South Dakota and this house, um, you know, so my reaction to the house was, this is awesome. Like, this is, you thought this out. This is really great. Uh, I know you're happy. This is what you wanted. You worked hard for this. So I'm, I'm happy. Other people be like, oh, look at this guy. Look at this. He's got this big house. He's got, you know, he's living. He's got this land. And I'd be like, this is, you know, you got, it's this whole, it's this weird thing, right? Like if, we, we were having a conversation a couple months ago. Uh, we were out to eat. Aaron and I, and I say, there's this weird thing that you know, people like I'm, I'm a person who generally is happy for people. Like, you know, you show something you've done or whatever, an article or a paper or a car, or something or whatever you won your fantasy football league. I'm happy for you. Um, but yeah, these, these, there's a, there's these people who I think then I don't know what it is. Uh, it is, but I've dealt with a lot of those people, and eventually, like you, just got to realize it's them. It, it it's totally it's it's them. <laughs> it's not you. It's it's them. Well, I wouldn't want to live on a house on a hill because then it's too windy. I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> you're not. It's my house. <laughs> so, 
okay, that's fine for you. Um, I like living on top of a hill. Never have a flooded basement. Everything drains away, but too windy for you. It's fine. <laughs> You're not living here. Um, I feel disgusted at this point in taking a bigot. I thought you guys were decent humans. Oh, no. Guys, well, I'm, I'm not. I trust my moderators, and I'm, I'm not reading through the in, in real time here. So I'm sorry that that's whatever's happening here. Shelly Rogers, too many politics in the school system, Ben, they're done that, and they don't protect teachers. Yeah, I mean, you say they don't protect teachers. So as an expert witness, some points I always bring out to teachers and new administrators, I said, when things get rough in litigation, the school board is protected first by your district's legal force, and then it's administration, and then it's teachers. That's how that always breaks down, and you will see that. The board is has the shield put around them by the legal team. So you've got to, you know, have your own protection, your own liability, your own documentation. You know, I, I this fall I had a, a, a superintendent, their district was being sued for um, parents sued saying their child became infected at school with COVID because the school didn't have mask policies, other mitigation. And then um, the school, everything got locked. All the records, every, all the files, emails, your access to your Google Drive, everything got shut down as the attorneys came in and took copies of everything that they would then use as evidence for plaintiff and for defendant, right? Of saying, evidence of saying, here's what you did for training. Here's how you notified teachers, communications you had on. Here's your decisions were made. But that's really weird for people to like go through that and be like, well, what if I just sent something out in, uh, you know, like a verbal message or like in a paper thing and I don't have a, so I'm like, here's how to do your evidence trail. You're called prenumerance. And I go through that, your metadata, you know, nobody teaches people that. I, actually like lawyers should come in and teach people that they should review that with the school staff, especially administration, but I don't know. Uh, Martin wrote, all the teachers I remember were tough. Didn't always play by the rules today. They'd be fired. Yeah, probably the same for me. Like, I had a teacher who uh, flipped my desk over when I was goofing around in high school. Like, literally, like, grabbed the front of the desk and totally flipped. Uh, <laughs> I did, like, a 360 land on the floor. But I was goofing around. And, you know, I didn't goof around after that. I was um, now, yeah, something like that today. That guy'd be gone. Um so, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Shelly wrote, I also didn't go to school for teaching the normal tracks. So I got thrown into the shark tank when I did. So, Shelly, you're teaching students with disabilities. That's usually when, yeah, you're right there. Um, people who know so the time out for spamming the chat. That's not allowed. That's why channels sit slow mode. So, all right. I don't, I'm doing this to stream here, so I don't know if I can, I can change my mode speed, but anyway, again, like I, my, um, I vet my chat moderators. I mean, I trust my chat moderators. So whatever you guys, you know, feel needs to happen. So Vanessa here in New England States, um, most every math teacher needs the masters of math. This is the last year to get it five years of past. Yep. 
Andrew, I got to go to sleep now. I'll wake up tomorrow. I got to earn fake money. Yeah, fake money. Inflation will see what it's worth tomorrow. Dow Jones took a hit <laughs> today, right? I think like last on Friday too. So we'll see what the year ends at. I think the year started like 30, 31,000 for the Dow Jones, now like 34. So see where it ends. But oh my God, it's just, uh, it's just crazy. So uh, I'm off to leave this on. Tell, eh, gosh darn it, Andrew, you're a good person. So thank you so much. Um, so, uh, Bive Luminous Bacon, we'll talk later. I love you. You know that, right? Wow. All right. It might have been a private chat message. We'll see. Me too, Andrew. Fiat Warner. Uh, sorry, guys. I need to kind of hang it up here soon. So, I need, so my tomorrow, what is my tomorrow? I need to, uh, keep proofing my book through, um, with my publisher. That is all has to be done by the 28th of December. Which they said after that we can't make any changes. I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> we got to see how I got to see all these figures lay out, like the the diagrams and the images, because I'm not I'm not real hip on some of the decisions that I've made with that right now. People know, doesn't Elon Musk and Safe Doc have the same haircut? I got this haircut today. This was this morning from Becca, who's cut my hair for like 15 years. So yeah, so that's my so that's cool. And my next haircut will be in five weeks. Um, so da, 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 let's do this. Vanessa wrote uh, new London sub base. I visit often. All right. Tickney never served. I didn't send the papers for personal reasons. Uh, Shelter in paradise. My, my grandparents classmate was slapped with a ruler for using their left hand to write. <laughs> well, that'll, I'll take care of it. So, all right. When I was coaching basketball, uh, so I, I coached basketball. When I was 16, I took over coaching middle school basketball because nobody else would. And I was done playing basketball at that point, like at, at high school. Um, so I coached. And at first, I would, my parents would have to like drive me to a game or something like that until I get my license at 16. But then um, I remember we had, we had one game where, um, uh, so the safety doc come into discord. I had, I don't have discord. If you can send, I don't know, send me a link to it. That'd be great. I don't. Yeah. I got to, I kind of, I got to get uh, into the 21st century of this stuff. Send me a link or my, I'm on Twitter. My email address is right here in the YouTube thing about me. So I was coaching basketball and, and we got to this championship game or whatever. And then there's stuff going on with the team and, back and forth some players. And so I like to just shut practice down. It was winter. It was like a Saturday practice. It was probably zero degrees outside. So I just made everybody stand outside and lock the doors and I left. <laughs> and my assistant coach, Tony, with me. And the team worked its issues out and they called me later that night and they're like, we're all good now and all this stuff. And I'm like, today, I like, I would have been in so much trouble for that. And, uh, but back then, and then we went on to win the championship. It was still a trophy over there, by the way, 1992. But I don't know. Um, yeah, no, send me information about the Discord. Please do that. Um, so uh, we will get hooked up, so to speak, pun intended. I don't know who that's addressed for, but uh, <laughs> guessing uh, somewhere here. So, so anyway, folks, um, yeah, I, I don't know this Discord stuff. Like, I'm. I'm not, I have no idea what's mine. 
Doc. All right. I let me check this out. What? What? It, well, I don't. Um, I don't know what Discord is. So. Don't have an account. Don't. Oh, I'm a human. I guess now I'm in yours. I don't know what this is. I got to look this up. I'm not going to enter my birthday. Come on. Why do I need to provide my birthday? I don't. I got to. I got. I guess I got to look. I got to figure this out a little more. You guys can. Doc's old school here. So, there's a voice and video chat. Okay, just a bunch of. Oh, okay. Good hey, thanks, Ting Ting. And also, uh, you said Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for being here tonight. Um, so, yeah, I got to. <laughs> right. So, another part of the channel is so I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, and then I also have the safetyphd.com. So, there's a. Uh, I don't have Facebook and I don't have a lot of these other things. So there's there's part of like it's it's an opt-in experience to to hang out with the doc here for a night. So um so what we covered tonight is you know as of December 17th, the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, told school is or, or is put on their webpage, right? For school districts. So instead of if there's a close contact, a student is tested positive for COVID, other students in the classroom, then if they've been there for more than 15 minutes or whatever, they those students, their parents need to be notified and say, hey, if your student who was in close contact is exhibiting symptoms, they need to stay home, be tested, this type of stuff. So that changed that guidance, and now the guidance is test to stay. So if they haven't been vaccinated, they need to take a test. Now this, when I say need, this is again, um, these are recommendations. The CDC is giving recommendations. All the school boards could say, you know, we're not going to do this. Or we are going to do this. But a lot of school boards will do this from Doc telling you here because the counties are supposed to be the ones telling schools how to manage in a pandemic for the stuff. And the counties have bailed. <laughs> so the schools don't get guidance from their state. So they just... We'll, we'll benchmark to the CDC because they have to do something and they don't want to be sued. So, um, or if they do, if they are sued, they, we want to say, we're following CDC and that's a pretty good defense. Uh, how schools currently do contact tracing? Yes, remember though, most schools are small. So like in my state, 421 school districts, half of those are under a thousand students. A lot of them have rural school buildings. What they do is they pull it off of their their computer systems so they know what student has been in what class per the schedule and the software has kind of been updated to be able to pull that data out. In the last year, the software companies have done that. Do people actually have a contact tracer? Someone at school, I'm a contact tracer? No, it doesn't exist. Unless maybe some of the very big districts and then it's just somebody who's diluted over a big population. So how would you do this? Who's going to test? As Vanessa said, a lot of these schools don't even have nurses. Or if they do, it's a, it's a, you know, you have a nurse every Monday morning or something like that. So who's doing the testing? How are they getting the testing supplies, right? 
Um, we know now insur major insurance companies are telling parents or uh, people that we're not covering testing. So are the schools covering this? Or if not, is, I mean, these are questions, right? Is Bill going to come to a parent? We also have this really interesting uh, kind of change of pace in the show where we're like, well, how does this look right here? How does it look in general for immunizations? How does it look for the last 20 years in school districts when kids are supposed to come in with the mumps, measles, polio vaccines, and stuff like that? And the reality is um, there's not the compliance you think there would be. And in fact, in my state here, Wisconsin, 32 districts didn't even send in their compliance reports. So <laughs> took a sample here, a random sample, 12 districts, and whoa. So Ashland, northern part of the state, district of about 2,000 kids, about 100 kids, no status. And when I say no status, that means, um, yeah, when you say no status, you don't have a waiver or the records. You got nothing. So... It's an interesting slide. You might want to pause on it or something, but it's a slide I'm using for a class I'm teaching in spring. But I honestly didn't expect when I put this together for the data to be this bad. <laughs> and when I mean this bad, I mean this bad as in just like incomplete. Um, it's one thing if this data, like all the red stuff would, would have showed up, like, you know, this, this, we don't have this. We're trying to get this. But we're 32 districts. It's like, we're not doing it. Screw it. Screw it, you do it, remember? Um, yeah, Vanessa. Yeah, the thing from the White House. <laughs> I talked about that earlier in the show. Um, that was that was crazy, right? Like the statement from the White House saying it's going to be a horrible winter for the... I mean, could you imagine saying that in any other con context throughout time? I mean, it's um, it is it is horrible unprofessional messaging. I wrote about the Committee for National Morale in my book, uh, the, the Velocity of Information and, and you know, Wilson's Four Minute Men during World War One, and just the FDR's fire such. I mean, that's, that is beyond vindictive and cruel. Imagine, again, imagine you are a seven-year-old, you're a second or third grader and a vaccine isn't approved for you yet. And you're like, um... Am I going to die? Like this is this is me, or like you know, if you're immunocompromised, or your, your doctor is saying no, or you know, this isn't your best interest. There, I mean, it it, it was a beyond cruel, um, cruel statement, and and it when you see stuff like that, you know, it's always this thing like, how many people check things like this before they come out? Like from whitehouse.gov, it has to be many, right? This has to be this this layers of people who check things before they come out of these official sites. And, uh, you know, there's no condition where that sits well with, with me. Um, I'm, I, I, it's just, it, it's beyond where I would have ever thought we could have been, um, of such a statement coming out from the white house. So let's see here. White House vaccine statement. Let's bring that up one more time. And uh, yeah, I want to bring this up. 
right there. Let's do this. Um, whitehouse.gov. We are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work in school for the vaccinated. You've done the right thing and we'll get through this. Um, although apparently for the NFL, which is work, the vaccinated had games canceled or scheduled. But anyway, for the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves. Your families and hospitals, you soon may overwhelm hospitals, which by the way, people have quit because they've been forced into mandates and other crazy stuff. But this is unbelievable. You know, like this, this is a first draft of a dystopian novel. And then like, people are like, okay, like, what are we, this is, and to me, this is a major loss of credibility. Um, not, you know, I, I don't know. I just, it's disgusting. I, I, it's an absolutely disgusting message. Martin wrote, I just watched Darkest Hour about Winston Churchill against all odds when Hitler had taken Europe, brought the UK together, fight very full. Yeah, you're right. No, it is a good example, Martin. Right. Like that. Where is that today? You know, these people are a little, in their their little tweet wars or this this messaging here. This is such garbage. And the thing is, I think there are a lot of people like right here that realize, right? This isn't this is this is stupid. You know, as a as a professional leader, as a you would you would put some statement out there like this. By the way, WhiteHouse.gov, you did a hell of a job. Hell of a job helping out our uh, truck drivers or over the road truck drivers uh, when you deem them essential and, and uh, shut everything down and, and truck stops and they couldn't get food and way stations and all that. You did a hell of a job with that. Screwing over all of the over the road truckers. Nice job. Yeah, on your high horse of saying this stuff. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The White House statement was about 30 seconds of content. How much time did Fireside Chat? Uh, Fireside Chat was about 15 to 20 minutes. And I studied. I read every Fireside Chat, the transcript, as I wrote the philosophy of information. And um, FDR always, I mean, this is like when the country is going to war and depression, like, you know. Um, and, and FDR also told people, write me letters and tell me what you're experiencing. He received um, eight thousand letters or telegrams a day. I think I have to go back in the book um, from people. And not everyone, people would be angry and mad with that. People would be like aligned with him, but like he wanted to hear what people, but he was never doing stuff like this. I mean, he got pretty edgy with some stuff with Hitler, but um, he wasn't blaming people. Like, you know, you're in your situation because of whatever, you know, you didn't farm well or you, <laughs> you know, you abuse the crops and that's why everybody has uh, dust pneumonia now. I mean, you never had this attacking. Um, and, I, and and frankly, like just look at this, this isn't true. It's not a true statement. You know, severe illness and death for yourselves, your families and that. Yeah, it's just, it's false. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's dis It's disgusting. Like, <laughs> I, I see the lack of um, of dignity. 
Yeah. Hospitals are discontinuing stuff. Yeah. It took years to see Carl. There's been years to heart. Oh, no. Um, oh, God. Sorry to hear that, Vanessa. So. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, all right. Well, everybody, thank you again for um, helping me get to a thousand subscribers. So <laughs> it's been a really great day uh, to to get there, and this um, and I wouldn't be there on it. I completely know I wouldn't be there without all of you, and really like doubling my subscribers in the last three months. I mean, after just like kind of going along and, and uh, you know, the, the content and, and a lot of you uh, specifically DLD, Bacon, um, uh, you know, True Strategies, uh, working to uh, John Crump to get my, my stuff out there and make other people aware of it made a big difference in a really fast amount of time. And uh, so that's been motivating to me because, you know, I feel... I am value added. I feel, you know, all of you are value added to me. And how many hours of light time do you need? So I, <laughs> I actually need uh, two thousand more hours there going to websites. Um, I, so it is four thousand hours viewed in a year, and I have about two thousand right now. And the thing is, um, I, I didn't do shows from January to. To August, like I, I took a break from doing the show after you know three years. I took as I was writing the velocity of information because I, I, that book was you know like three thousand hours putting that book together, and and I needed to make sure it came out while the pandemic everything's still like really happening. So, the, um, so I, I got away from and now as I've returned and I love doing the shows and I love doing Facebook Fridays um, because I wasn't doing the shows. So, you know, people weren't watching, right? Because they're going to watch a lot of old content. And, uh, but yeah, I do need 2000 hours. So I don't know. I, I want to say this appropriately, right? I don't want people to just, oh, like I'll turn it on and I'll like just let it run all night while I'm sleeping. You know, that's because I've, I've seen YouTubers do that. And I don't think that's classy at all. Um, but, you know, I'm saying if there's opportunities to have me on in the background when you're doing something, please. Uh, know that that helps the the show. And again, you know, I am sincere when I get to monetize this channel, which is, you know, when those hours come up there, I am going to take those dollars and buy my books and I'm going to send them to libraries that would not otherwise have them. I'm going to contact them first and say, hey, <laughs> not until send it, we don't want this book. But um, I am going to do that because I think, you know, they're they're important works. A lot of libraries have the books, um, but I want them to be available to people. And that was one of the reasons, you know, on my audio book for Velocity of Information, um, when we negotiated the contract for that, that was a sticking point. I went back and forth and I said, I, the Velocity of Information will be an audio book. I'll be later on, but that needs to be accessible to libraries because some Audible books are only available to, to Audible subscribers, not to libraries, depending upon how that arrangement works. But I said, I need a, I need people to have access to my stuff. Um, and I'm willing then 
you know how the royalty stuff works i'm willing to to take less on royalty to have more access right because i want people to have access to this um and again i worked for the school for the blind and with people who are blind for four years and they're like hey, is your book an audio I'm like well yeah it will be <laughs> of course because like i know they're like kids ebook isn't the same like ebook reader like of course i didn't know that the first book kind of coming in learning experience but um so let me do a run through here on uh and then i'll i'll end things here but ting ting uh ting ting no worries uh safe to hey, thank you ting ting i appreciate that i do i appreciate that um i appreciate it and um trying to get down here okay congrats thanks bacon and even uh Friday nights, boy, you come in and you're on your show. You're like, hey, subscribe or doc. I appreciate that. We will meet someday. But no, you're, you've been a good friend for, since I met you. So, and I appreciate your, your, your work. You're kind of, you're a good person. Um, and Martin wrote, um, doc, maybe you think you're fighting the teachers unions that the message might be headed for a, a huge tidal wave. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I know. Corey DeAngelis is a friend of mine. So if you look, he follows me on Twitter. Um, so I think he does extraordinary work. Uh, so it's kind of funny. Someone once, oh, I think it was my publisher, but it was someone else, maybe PBS too. They're like, you know, like 30 year audience is like survivalist. I'm like, yes. <laughs> uh, do you have a problem with that? Because I think that's great. I love those people. They're thorough. So, by the way, like I have a pantry on the other side of this wall and a whole bunch of flashlights. Robert, honestly, Doc, if anyone else streams, I might have went to bed too. Hey, well, thank you. And I need to get you to bed because that zero white oil is going to make your engine run, but I want you to be sleepy, buddy. Thanks, Robert. Like, let me, like I, you've been in the shows and we have a regular schedule, and I really appreciate you guys. So, Finesse, I turned 60 years ago. I told Devin I too. So, I'm 10 behind you. I'm I'm 50 here, Vanessa. So I I'm actually quote unquote still in very good physical health. It's uh I bike a hundred miles in summer. Like when I go out, I don't do it every day, but I will get up early and I've got my routes and pack everything and I've you know I kind of condition up to it. But and I never did that until like maybe 2014. I just was started to like, what's my how far can I go? And um, and it's not a big deal for me to do a hundred miles in a day. Um, I've got a really nice, but you know, rebuilt and bike. And I know all the stuff I did, but, uh, and I love it. Like, and it's a good test of fitness. Like I, 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 I often tell people like, I would know if something's wrong because like a, a bike ride of a hundred miles will fl uh, flesh out <laughs> problems. You got problems with, uh, you know, your your heart or oxygen levels, or you know, joints or orientate, you know, spatial orientation, mobility, and and uh, things like that. That will show up. How long does a bike? It takes me. Um, so I take breaks along my rides. It about eight hours, eight nine hours. I don't bike very fast, so I have like a pack mule bike and in many pictures like in summer and stuff on Twitter, I'll post of my my bike. You know, I bring a lot of stuff with me. Um, but I'll I'll do I'll do about eight hours for a hundred miles. 
um, including like the breaks and stuff, you know, that I take. And honestly, it's weird because like I get home and I feel great. Like I can, I put the bike away and stuff like that and, and I can do other stuff. I'm not tired. It's just, it's so, and I never did that until, I don't know, it was 2014 was the first year. And I've got a funny picture. I'm going to, I'll bring it up. This was when I started to bike. Uh, I was, I'm not in this shape anymore, by the way. Um, but when I started to bike, my God, I was in, uh, I was in great shape. So this was in 2014. I'm going to put this picture up. So believe it or not, that was, that was me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's me in 2014. Uh, and that was like on a hundred mile bike trek. So, and I could get back to that. Like if I, if I worked out, um, and you know, stuff I I could get back into, into this, but, uh, yeah, it's, this is an amazing, amazing photo because I weighed before this, this summer when I really started to bike and, and take the, take my conditioning seriously. That, that's still the bike that I use. I rebuilt it. Um, I, um, and I was incredibly, this was crazy strong, crazy strength too, but, uh, yeah, I never used suntan ever biking, like just natural sun, vitamin D never burned ever. And that mile, that summer, I probably biked 4,000 miles. I, I actually biked about 4,000 miles in that summer. Um, so I loved it. So yeah, there I was probably like 180. And now, you know, probably about 220 again. I was like 240, 250 before I started biking. I'm pretty strong. Like I can bike at 220. I can bike 100 miles. Fine, but I don't look like that. <laughs> I don't look like that anymore. I probably could get back. I have the hair. and, um, But... Yeah, that's a hell of a picture. I'm like, holy smokes, man! I was I was uh, 2014 there. Um, yeah, I looked like I was playing in the NFL. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that was yeah, like holy smokes, man! That was crazy. That was yeah. Now look at the viewership go up. Um, so, yeah, bi biking. Yeah, it's cool. Now nah, in winter, I hate it. So. Put this, maybe I should put this in your ads. So, yeah, 10, <laughs> 10 cases. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a, I mean, I actually, I look at it, I'm like, holy smokes, like, I was in great shape. Um, I need to, was it, yeah, that was, that was something. Um, it was, it was, I was super strong too. Like, uh, yeah, I would go out. I would bike and um, when I was, when I was, I'd bike a hundred miles and I would go down at night and I would run 10 miles on the track and I was, yeah, you know, and I was really careful in what I, and then I was working down, working out like crazy. And uh, yeah, there was, there was like no body fat then. Um, biking was a little bit tricky because without body fat, like you had to bring, make sure electrolytes and everything, what you packed, because your body was already like running really lean. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I mean, I could have, I could have like dominated at basketball or football or anything back then. I mean, cause it was just, 
2014, ladies and gentlemen, the doc, believe it or not, that actually it's a doc. Like I said, I could, and I, I honestly believe if I dedicate myself, I could probably get similar, similar to that age. Age is uh, taken, taken somewhat of a toll, but I'm, that was, I don't know, it's in my 40s when I did that. So, is that the rocks? <laughs> so, is, it is. Oh my God. What motivated me to do that? I had just left a horrible job um, in administration, and it was a wicked fallout from that. And I was 250 pounds. I had high cholesterol, just a lot of bad health stuff. And, and then I was like, screw this. And I started to do this on my own. Well, my doctor's like, you got to, you know, you're going to have a heart attack or something. You're not in good shape, buddy. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I, and, uh, I did like, Whoa, look at doc. I, um, so I, I, I just took the advice and then I, I did it on my own. I would, I was just dedicated to it. And then once you start to see the results, right? Like it was, it was kind of self-reinforcing, um, but yeah, and then everything looked great. So I'm six foot tall, by the way. So yeah, it's bacon. So yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it's, it's, it's an interesting, yeah, photo. Yeah. And I mean, maybe for like three, four summers, I was probably similar to that. And that now I'd, the, the weightlifting, I don't, I've got to get back into, but I mean, I did so much uh, lifting and I felt absolutely great. But it was it was uh, cathartic to um, to do that, and yeah, after just leaving that really bad, <laughs> really bad situation, right? Um, to get fit, yeah, you have control over yourself, right? So your locus of control, and and then I love biking and being away from people and stuff, and uh, but yeah, no. Yeah, that photo, like, holy smokes, a young whippersnapper right there. So, uh, yeah, I need to. And the thing is, like, winter is so hard, Wisconsin, because you can't do this stuff. Like, I'm out here, it's probably 80 degrees, you know, and sunny. And it's probably, I think it was a morning looking where the sun is, because I know where I was at when that picture. I set that picture up on a little tripod I carried in, a, in the bag on the back with my camera. So I just had that set on a timer. So. Um, yeah, it was, I was, <laughs> so that was anyway, it was cool. Um, I, I don't, I did a show sometime. I'll do another show on, on here. I did one an interview on, um, the sustainable living podcast, maybe in like 2015 or 2016 about that whole experience of like leaving a really toxic job. And when I say leaving, like it was a brutal departure. Um, I've never gone through anything like that in my life. And actually like looking back at it, like it's all good. Cause like everything worked out. Like I said, I would never been had the honor to be a administrator at the school for blind for four years. Had that not happened. It honestly, without that, my life was so enriched by that. I said, it's such, such a gift. So, you know, things you look back and like, they all kind of fall into place, but, um, but I'm like, Holy Lord. Uh, 
I need to, thanks, Vanessa. Or thanks, Scott. I mean, um, I need to, um, I need, I need to, to talk about that again, because I, I think there's a, especially now a lot of us to dedicate a show to like, what do you, what do you do when you're in a toxic situation that maybe you, maybe in that situation, it was a work situation. So maybe just a toxic work situation. Like, what do you, what do you do? Like I was making huge money and had a lot of power and uh, it was in, it was a miserable place to work <laughs> and uh, it was, it, it was, the thing was I left a great job to go there. I left a job where everybody loved me and they begged me not to leave. And no, I left because this was going to be like big lights, big city. And Oh, so wrong. So wrong. Um, but you know, but how do you, how do you go through that? Like for me, like in my experience and, and then I think there's a lot in solitude, and I want to talk about that sometime too. Solitude is underrated. Hey, it's Punkylicious. Thank you. Please subscribe, Punkylicious. Punkylicious, please subscribe. Please. Um, I want to talk about um, solitude. There was a book by Lionel Fisher. Lionel Fisher wrote a book about solitude. Anyway, and that kind of got me into this whole deal um too so hey hello hello there punkalicious so i like that um avatar by the way um but yeah and that's where i started to to really embrace and kind of get get my head in the game kind of i never lost at anything really <laughs> i mean it's kind of crazy to say it but like I was always, I always got the jobs I wanted. Um, you know, I was successful in athletics. Um, I, when I was in college, like half my classes, I always had the top score. I'm not trying to brag with them, but I'm saying like I had, it was a big weakness because I had never really come against adversity because I just had worked, outworked everybody, I think, to get to where I was. And then when adversity hit, it was crazy. But then to work, to come through that, to rebuild, it's kind of like Rocky four, you know, it's a Rocky like train and stuff like that to go up against Drago and he's out in the cabin and Russia. And it was this part of like having to train your body and mind back. And like, and now like I'm so much stronger than any, anything I was remotely at. Like, and it's interesting in 2013, I presented on PBS and I watched that presentation. I think I looked awful. It was a great presentation. Like I was spot on. I knew all the stuff I was doing. It was a, as far as like, if you were to grade it, it was an A, it was right there. But physically I was overweight. You could kind of, I could just see, yeah, it just wasn't in good shape. Stressed presentation. It was great. When I presented in 2019, totally different. Like you can look at those two presentations, how I was, I was more fit. I was just, I was surrounded by positive, great people, stuff I was doing. I was out of this toxic and like, and so I look at those two and I'm like, those are completely, I'm two different people. Like those, both those presentations, cause I just knew I would deliver, you know, I'm going to hit the home run if I'm up at the plate there. But, uh, but I look at that 2009, 2013, I'm like, holy smokes. I was, in, I was just in bad shape. And, uh, in 2019, I'm like, yeah, like, look at, look at old docs back. So, um, Martin wrote, if you have leverage, tell that boss what you really think. If not, make sure they think, yeah. 
I did tell one of my bosses after I left. And you kind of then see like how weak they are as people. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you weren't even worth the respect I gave you when I was in the job. Like that's honest, the truth. And, I, and you know, you, I do things like I'm like, you could never write a book, not because you're not capable. You would never have the willpower to sit down and to do that uh, or to go and print. I mean, like, so you start to, you start to see the people that, we're in leadership when you were in leadership and they're not really who you thought they were. So, yeah. So, well, punky kitty, hopefully new subscribers, hopefully a couple more thumbs up here, which would be great. So I am going to get on out of here. Everybody. Thank you so much again. Uh, safetyphd.com, which is down in the corner from your good friend here, uh, the safety doc, everything is there. <laughs> All of the podcasts you can find there and everything's an audio, the PBS stuff, you link it out. So that's kind of clearing out stuff. So links to my two books are there. So I am, uh, I am going to, um, do a farewell, but on my farewell out here and thank you everybody for a thousand subscribers. Thank you for giving me your night. Um, please comment also about the show. Hey, is there something what's happening in your schools or what's happening in your community or what would you like for another show or things? Cause I've been responding to comments. The shows have been getting like eight, 10 comments, which have been great. So thanks for the comments. Um, let me see down below here. Yep. Uh, peace. Hey, shelter in paradise. Thank you for being here. Peace out. And, uh, thank you for the show, Vanessa. So I'm, because I made this myself, I'm going to update it, but I think it is awesome. I'm going to do my intro as an outro. And uh, right here, everybody, but everybody, 1K subs were there. And thank you so much. Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perotti. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perotti on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.